Maui Nui is on a mission to help balance axis deer populations for the good of our environment, communities, and food systems on the island of Maui. They've shared over 126,000 pounds of nutrient-dense protein with the Maui community. Secure your spot now. Become a snack subscriber and join in helping to build more resilient food and ecosystems on Maui. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I-Venison.com. And use promo code BEAR for 20% off your first order. Outdoor Adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. You know what my favorite text is? A waypoint in the Onyx Hunt app to a goblin turkey. The list on the Onyx Hunt app features for chasing turkeys is long, but knowing exact public and private boundaries and land ownership details will help you find more places to hunt, whether that's on public or private. I'll be toting the Hunt app through the spring woods in a few states this year, and I recommend you do the same if you want more turkeys on your table. Also, Onyx has a special offer for you. Use code BEARGREASE to receive 20% off your membership at onyxmaps.com slash hunt this spring. My name is Clay Newcomb, and this is a production of the Bear Grease podcast called the Bear Grease Render, where we render down, dive deeper, and look behind the scenes of the actual Bear Grease podcast. Presented by FHF Gear, American-made, purpose-built hunting and fishing gear that's designed to be as rugged as the places we explore. Well, man... This is this is a monumental bearish render for me right here. I got lots of people here that uh, usually we have a a group that's all the same, but during hunting season, I usually do something a little different. This is this is one of those different ones. All right. So the only regular is Gary Believer Newcomb. Does anybody here know why he's his nickname is Believer? Absolutely. Tell him, tell him, Scott. He believes in the Black Panther. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Hey, Steve, Meat Eater made a hat that's like a best-selling hat. Like people wear this hat all over the country, and it says Believer, and it has a Black Panther walking across a log with a moon behind it. That's awesome. And it and it says on the Meat Eater website, inspired by Gary Newcomb. It's a Gary Newcomb special. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah. good to see you, Dad. Hey, so everybody you. else, every one of you have been on the Bear Grease podcast before, but never on a render. I don't think any of you have ever been on a render. So to my left, my good buddy, Scott Brown. I talk about you all the time, Scott. <laughs> Do you hear? Do you hear murmurs of it every once in a while? Yeah, every once in a while, I no. hear you mention me. In a so, podcast. Scott, you're just a couple years older than me. We didn't really know each other that well in high school. Kind of, I knew of you. The first time that I consciously remember Scott meeting Scott was outside the Walmart, and we met up just like outside the Walmart. It was dark, and you said, "Clay, I'm hunting a buck 
that if I kill it, everybody's going to know about it. <laughs> I didn't take much of a deer back then. <laughs> well, no, and then you killed like a 156-inch buck on public land with your bow. Yeah. And everybody knew about it. Yeah. And I was like, what this man says he does. But no, Scott and I, I Scott went to the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville. I moved to Fayetteville when you were like a senior in college. Um, yeah, that's about right. And so I was a whatever you are when you start, freshman, I guess. And we worked together at Walmart. That's right. And man, Andy, that's where I felt like I got to know you. Because me and Scott talked nonstop about deer hunting, about Black Panther just jumped in my lap. And um, no, I learned a ton about deer hunting from Scott Brown, no doubt. Good to have you, Scott. Glad to be here. You were on the first Bear Grease podcast, too. Yes, I was. Telling the story about the guy walking in with a bobcat picture. Yeah. Thinking it was a mountain lion. Thinking it was a mountain lion, yeah. Yeah, that was perfect. That was. To your left is my long time, like since like grade school, buddy. Yep. Randy, long-legged step. Good to be here. Yeah, man. So Randy's claim to fame in the Bear Grease world is that – he told the story of the buck falling in the mine shaft. Just think, Randy, if that hadn't happened to you, where would you be in life, man? You know, I, I can butterfly effect. Take that back to you, Clay. <laughs> I got my first job in high school because you quit. <laughs> and I took your job specifically. I went in and applied and said. What are we talking? I don't even. I'm lost. I guess were, I quit and didn't get the memo. You were pushing carts and you told me at school, hey, I'm quitting that job. I was like, oh, I think I want that job. So I went and applied and said, hey, I heard clay's quitting i want this job and they gave it to me really and i still work there 25 years later so if it weren't for you wow then maybe none of that happens and that deer doesn't fall in my chat <laughs> well okay i i didn't realize that you did that yeah i pushed carts and that's yeah i had two stints at walmart mm-hmm. i guess everybody in arkansas does you yeah. guys just stuck with it scott works at walmart randy works at walmart absolutely man i was thinking randy and i believe it or not went to boy state together try it and if you know what Boy State is, I don't know if that's good or bad. I don't know if I'm proud of that or not proud of that. <laughs> but me and Randy. And room together there, too, which is yep. strange because usually they try to pair you up with some. I guess they figured we couldn't be paired with anybody else. I guess not. Good to see you, Randy. Glad good to see you're you, here. too. To Randy's left, skipping over dad, Steve Phillips. Steve, as long as I can remember being alive, I remember Steve Phillips being around somewhere. We went to church with the Phillips, and I went to school with your kids. You were on the second Bear Grease podcast, Mouth Calling. That's right. Yeah, man. Give us your best mouth call, whether it's an owl or a crow. Can you do it on the spot? There you go. <laughs> That's good. I want to hear about your hog. Oh, the hog story? Yeah, at, at, at some point. Let me, let me introduce. Uh, oh, yeah. Get this guy to get this guy to my left. Yeah, and yeah. To Steve's left is Andy Brown. And Andy, man, I told you this when you were on the podcast the other day. You're you're world famous, man. <laughs> After the Louis Dell and Charlie Edwards, <laughs> who who would have thought that knowing Louis Dell and Charlie would get you so much credit in this world? Not surprising. Not surprising at all. So Andy is Scott's dad. This is an eclectic group of of hunters. And then also not in the not with a headset on. It's Coy House, Steve Phillips' grandson. And I want to talk to Coy after a while, too. Tell us about that hog. Well, you know, it has a lot to do with my grandson here at Coy House. You, you know where I live, up behind the old bowling alley. I found some hog sign in there the other day. 
And so Coy decided to put one of his spy cameras up. And so he did. And all of a sudden, we're at Friday night ball game, and here comes a big old boar at 845 in there. And he said he shows me the picture, and I said, well, we're going to get a chance to shoot that thing. So we don't get another picture of that until this morning. Mm. And we're laying there asleep, and his grandma's got to go to work at 7 o'clock. 6 o'clock, the door knocks, and he opens the door, and he said, hey, Paul, that hog's up there right now. And I said, <laughs> Coy, let's go back to bed. We'll get him another morning. Let us sleep. I didn't want to get up. Mm-hmm. And he just shut the door and walked out. And I thought, well, he's going back to bed in just a minute. He opens my door and he shoves his lab pup in my room. He said, watch the dog. And so he left and I told his grandma, I said, he ain't going to kill that hog. I said, the wind's going <laughs> to blow down there and he's going to smell him and run off. In about 10 minutes, I heard, Pew! I heard a shot. And she said, did you hear that? And I said, yeah, well, my cell phone goes off and. He says, I just smoked him. And I said, well, come on back to the house. Let's drink some coffee and, you know, let it get daylight. Yeah. <laughs> he had his flashlight on him, you know. On and private land, you can shoot private hogs land. anywhere, anytime, yeah. anything goes. So we go up there, and he said he run off in a thicket down below. I heard him crash. Well, we get in the side by side and right up on top of the hill. And I've bush hogged a big area around there, you know, for deer. Got deer stands and everything. And he's laying dead right out in the middle of the open. So I just get hmm. the tractor and go out there and hook on to him and raise him up and bring him back to the house. About 250, 275 pounds. Did he have some pretty good teeth? Yeah, he had some good, good tusks on him. Yeah. So. He's about half as big as that one you killed in Howard County. That about half as big as that one <laughs> I got in Howard County. <laughs> That's exactly you a big right. One down there? Oh, he uh, killed a monster. A monster down, down in Howard County. I told old Andy and, and Tony Hooper, they were there. I called him on the radio when I shot that hog. I was walking, and I jumped him out of his bed, and mm. I shot him. I called him on the radio. They said, was that you shot? And I said, yeah, I've killed a little old hog. I said, I'm going to need y'all's help to help me drag him out. Well, here they come over there, and we walked off down to the woods, and I was kind of back and when they got up there with about 50 yards of it where they, they said, little hog, nothing. <laughs> we barely drug him up in the back of the truck. He probably was 500 pounds. Or really? Oh, yeah. We wow. took that thing to camp. Hung that dude up. I mean, as a biggin. And Tony and Steve's out there skinning that hog. And I'm, you ask the boys, I'm a little weak stomach. I mean, I can, I can look at it, but if, but if I, if I smell it, I'm gone. I mean, you on a hog. I, I, it don't matter. It, it don't matter. It don't matter if it's a deer or a hog. There's nothing worse than a gut shot deer, in my opinion, mm-hmm. with a oh, yeah. full of acorns. I mean, it's awful. But anyway, we hang that dude up and they're skinning that thing. And that dude, He's got a little old kind of a growth pocket on it. Where was that? It's on his neck. It's right on there, his neck. We pulled that armor plate down. And uh, old Tony reached up and he he hit that thing when it did. It just squirted stuff all up in his mouth, up on his <laughs> cheek. It looked like it looked like dirt dauber mud all up through there. I had me a complete runaway out there. I mean, <laughs> it oh stink. Oh, mm. you can't even believe how bad that thing. But that was a. You had the head mounted on that dude. Yeah. Yeah. We're, yeah, he's in my closet. I had him mounted. Good play. Yeah. Hey, big yeah, hog. Yeah, big hog. You know, and we're trying to get Andy supposed to be bringing a paper towel mm. to wipe Tony's face, and we're telling mm. him, don't open your mouth. Mm. And he's running backwards, you know, about to fall down, trying to throw up. And finally, <laughs> we get that. And no, Tony said he could smell that on his upper lip for about a week. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> it's, it's awful. Rough. Man, there's been some pretty good hog encounters. You shot one time five hogs in the same day? Yeah. 
Tell that story. Well, Clay was in uh, high school, and I found a bunch of hogs. I put Clay on the only deer I could find in the area where we hunt. So I went into an area that I call Hog Bottom. I just re- I, I knew the area, but this first time hogs had been in it. And uh, I knew there was deer, I knew there were hogs. And so as I was going in, there's a cane break all the way across this bottom. And all of a sudden, little pigs started coming out, you know, 100 pounders. And I started whack, whack, whack. So I had five or six arrows. Every time I'd shoot one, they'd squeal. And they would run across the creek up on a little rise on a flat. So all of a sudden, about the third hog, fourth hog, I hear a roar, a sound. You know, I talked about that clicking buck. Well, I'm telling you, this is a sound that I think you got to be a real serious hog hunter to have ever heard it. It was like a lion in Africa. I mean, it was a roar. Mm. You've probably heard it, hadn't you, Scott? Anyway, this sucker's coming off the mountain, and he doesn't like it that I'm shooting his little pigs. He's hearing... He's hearing he, he's the hearing these squealing. pigs squealing and running off, and, and he's so, off out of here, you know, just inside of here in somewhere. So two or three days later, I talked to two big hog hunters, one from Oklahoma, one from Arkansas, and I said, what was that hog doing? He said, he's got two purposes, to breed and protect, and he was coming to get you. You know, he was coming off that mountain to get you. So I got a tree behind me about this big that I see I can climb. <laughs> I'm right there, a creek, you know, about 10 feet wide but real shallow, and then up a bank. So he comes down and he crosses that creek, and when he crosses that creek, he fills up the whole creek. I mean, this sucker looked like a freight train. Mm-hmm. And so he jumps up and gets on one of these hog trails, and he comes right straight to me on a hog trail. And I'm sitting there at full draw, and I'm thinking, if he comes to the edge of the creek, which was 10 feet away, you know, I'm going to shoot him. Well, he comes, and he's coming right to me. He probably doesn't really he, see He you. hadn't seen me. You know, they're, pre- they're pretty blind, I think. They don't see. But I can see him, and that's all I needed. <laughs> so when he got to the edge of the creek, I just touched off my release and hit him right square in the head you couldn't shoot him anywhere else his head was, he was so coming big. towards you yeah his head was so big you couldn't see it looked like legs with a head <laughs> and uh so i shot him and my arrow is aluminum arrow and it broke and i could see it spinning off and i saw him turn anyway i had four or five dead pigs over here and this guy and, and of course, no that, left. that didn't hurt him i mean that yeah. didn't phase him for years i thought one day, I'm going to kill a hog down there that's got a big wasp broadhead stuck in between its <laughs> forehead, but we never did. But but the next week, I took Clay in there, and that's a story I probably told on this, where he went in and, and killed a, a pig, a hog, and then all the little bitty pigs came in, and he had like 30... <laughs> 30 little pigs, 20 little pigs running around. I shot a, I I was 16. No, I wasn't 16. I was 15 because I couldn't drive yet. And I walked into Hog Bottom, just where he had had all his pigs. And I hadn't been in there 10 minutes. I mean, I I, I could no more hear the gravel popping of dad leaving me there. And I see a 
pig coming, just trotting down the bottom. And it, the, the first one gets past me. It's full-grown hog. And I'm just sitting there going, holy cow, I just saw a hog. And I hadn't seen hogs before. It was the first time I'd encountered wild hogs. And not two minutes later, here comes another one coming down the trail. Lone, black, adult hog. And I just draw back, and it gets out there, take a good shot, just ten ring this hog. Dad's been gone ten minutes. And it's, you know, it's probably four in the afternoon, getting dark at 7.30. And so the, the hog runs off. Well, directly, a minute after that pig comes by, here comes 26. I'm, I'm not kidding. I counted every one of them. They were, they were shoats. They were of all different sizes. They were like 60-pounders down to little bitty just hardly weaned piglets and they just just paraded by me following the two pigs I'd just seen and for some reason I wasn't used to the wild hog world back then and I just it was kind of like deer hunting I I felt like I mean I I don't know that I consciously thought about regulations but now I would have just kept slinging arrows at them and that's what he had done but for some reason I didn't shoot any more hogs though I could have anyway they all run off and uh, 30 minutes passes and I decide I'm going to trail this hog that I've shot and I start trailing this hog and I blood trailer, I don't know, hundred yards. And all of those shoats were gathered up around my dead hog. It was a big sow and, uh, and they wouldn't leave her. And finally I got tired of watching them and I crawled up on my hands and knees to see how close I could get to them. Grunting, I was grunting like a pig, and I'm serious. I got within five yards of the whole mass of them, and then I scared them off, and they all just scattered. But they were, I, I, I'm not sure that they weren't pretty fresh turned out. Back in those days, people were turning hogs out. Now, they were black and wild as they could be, but you know, guys were catching, that was back when guys were catching hogs wherever and bringing them and turning them loose. And, uh, Anyway, that was my hog story right after that. Tell about the, the two you killed down on the lake. Scott Scott and Tim come in. We've had a bow camp for, what, 20 years probably. And they show up one evening at camp, and they've got a whole pickup bed full of hogs and a big eight-point buck deer yeah. <laughs> that covered. It filled the whole bed of the truck up. But tell them that story about those two big hogs. Yeah. That's, that's cool. Yeah, that's one of the most memorable hunts I've ever been on. So Tim Clark, he you know, he's all – He's friends with all of us here. We all know Tim. And we were at bow camp one week and Tim said, Man, we gotta go find some deer. We we just hadn't found what we were looking for all week long. And um so we let out and we go over to a couple different ridges and we walk in on this first ridge and uh we actually run into we we actually run into a few hogs that day, uh on the side of a just kind of a hickory cedar thicket ridge. But we weren't hog hunting. We were trying to find some buck sign. You know, it's it's Halloween week. We're thinking, you know, we're looking for big buck sign. And we kind of started back kind of, well, it's hard to explain it, but we we're kind of headed back south of where we'd originally started and pulled in on a little ridge where an old, dim logging road kind of, you could still make remnants of this old logging road outside this ridge. And when, you, when we found it, there was probably every, you know, 50 yards down that road was a fresh scrape, just a, 
I mean, it's just what kind of what we were looking for, and we found some white oak acorns that were in there, and there wasn't white oak acorns just everywhere that year. And so you could tell the deer were really in this area, pretty strong, good buck sign, and all that. And when we saw that, we thought, I wonder if the ridge on south of here is like this one. I wonder if it made white oak acorns. So we, we kind of went over the top of the ridge, crossed the holler, pulled back up in on the next ridge over there, and walked in on the side uh, of just a kind of a mixture between white oak and red oaks on the side of this ridge, pulled in on the side of that, and there's just acorns everywhere on the side of this ridge. I mean, we just, you know what it's like when you just kind of just walk into a place and you know instantly when you walk in, this is a spot. And it wasn't just white oaks, it's red oaks. The leaves were just turned over in there where the deer had been. There was fresh buck sign. Uh, just everything that you need, the recipe, all the ingredients were mm-hmm. there. So you could tell there was some hog sign in there too. And uh, But we were more concerned about the buck sign, you know. And so we kind of marked a couple of trees, and we, we decided that We'd give it a couple of days to air out because we'd been stomping around in there pretty good. And I'm weird about that. Like, if I'm in a place, like, I want to leave it alone for a day or two, kind of let things calm back down and go back in fresh. And so a couple of days later, we went back in there. And the way it was, Tim dropped me off on the ridge I was on, and then he went on over and pulled up over the top of the ridge to where he was on. So anyway, I get, and we got, this is back. Well, we had, we had cell phones, I'm fairly positive, but, you know, the cell service just was non-existent over there. And so we had these two-way radios. Mm-hmm. And so I told Tim, I said, man, let's hunt till 11 or 12 o'clock. I said, if you shoot something, we were close enough in proximity that if he owled me, I could hear him owl and I could mm-hmm. do the same and he'd hear me. I said, I'll, if I shoot something, I'll owl you. That'll be the signal to turn the radio on and you do the same. He says, all right, that sounds like a plan. So anyway, I climb up a tree and sit, sit there that morning. It had been pretty quiet. It's probably 9 o'clock in the morning. Hadn't hadn't seen a, other than squirrels. I hadn't seen anything. And anyway, about 9 o'clock, I get to hearing something I, over the top of the ridge. I'm kind of over on the north break of this ridge where I can hear something over the south break of the ridge just making some noise over there and I didn't know for sure what it was and I just kept tuned in there and just a little bit I looked at at the top of the ridge crested just I'm talking Volkswagen of a hog <laughs> a monster I mean this thing walks over top of the ridge I can't believe it I'm like my goodness that's the that's the biggest hog I've ever laid eyes on I mean mm-hmm. a monster and as fate would have it, he just comes right over the top of the ridge, walks right down there, right into the game trail that I'm set up on, turns west, and here he comes. And it's 22 yards out there straight in front of me to this game trail. I thought, man, if he gets to that game trail, I'm just going to shoot him right there. And I really, again, I premise this by saying I wasn't there on a hog hunt, you know. Right. I'm really sitting on some smoking hot buck sign, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to stay disciplined here, but this hog is the biggest one I've ever seen in my life, you know. <laughs> so he left with no choice. Yeah. So he's coming down this trail, and he walks out there at 22 yards, and I didn't even have to stop him. He just stopped on his own like it was meant to be, and I'm at full draw by then, and I just bury one up behind the shoulder. I mean, it just buries up to the fletching. He lets out a little squeal and just takes off kind of running back up the ridge, kind of going south 
uh, west of me, and he takes about he runs about forty yards and just crashes over, kicks about three times, and it's over. And I can see him, you know, I'm I can see him on the ground from my tree, mm-hmm. you know, and man, I'm pumped up. I've never killed one that big, you know. Mm-hmm. Normally, what you kill is them eighty to 120 pounders you know yeah and i mean i was just pumped so i get another arrow knocked up i hang my bow up i turn around there and i give it the whoo you know and in just a minute <laughs> i turn my radio on and in just a minute tim comes on the radio and he says how about it scott and i said yeah you got me he's like yeah and i just go into this big i said, tim son i just shot the biggest hog that ever lived down here he's like are you serious i was like oh my gosh you just can't believe how big this hog is. He's like, man, that's awesome. He said, man, I just had a lone doe walk by me. And I said, well, man, I'll get off here. I said, get ready. There'll be a buck along if she's by herself, you know. So I turn off my radio, and I just stick it back in my backpack, and I just settle in. I just sit up there. I'm, you know. Going to sit till 11. I was going to go ahead and set the morning, you know. So anyway, about 30 minutes go by, and the only way I know how to explain it is to the east of me, it sounded like wind coming over the ridge. Just this roar of noise, like leaves and wind. Like it was just crazy, just a roar coming. Mm. And I thought, what in the world is going on? And I got to watching out there east, and the woods became alive with hogs. There was, mm. there was. It's like tw- a tidal wave. Yeah, there was 20 hogs at least in a group and they're all just scouring the side of this ridge for these acorns and they're all just Mm. in the feeding mode and they're just making more noise than you can imagine so i got to looking at those and i thought shooting that first hog was pretty fun being funner to shoot another one you know (laughs) so i look out there and i pick one out there's a little light gray hog and i I've always described him. He was almost like a reverse javelina, where a javelina is black with a white stripe. Mm-hmm. This one was like a really light gray with a black stripe, almost mm. the same way a javelina would be striped. That's really but creative, the Scott. I like that. So it's pretty cool. I thought, you know, that's a cool looking pick. So I'm just going to, I just zero, you had to just pick one. There were so many of them. You just had to be <laughs> like, pick the one you want. And so this hog just keeps coming and keeps coming and they're working their way. They're just... They're just coming to me. In a few minutes, I'm going to have 20 hogs all within bow range of me, just a few minutes. And so I picked out this little gray hog, and he just keeps coming. And I would say he was a, I don't think he would have weighed 100 pounds, probably 80 to 100 pounds. And this little hog gets right in behind me, and I'm just about to draw my bow. And all of a sudden, these hogs just go to scattering like what you described when you jumped up and hollered at those Mm-hmm. hogs and they scattered out mm-hmm. these hogs just all of a sudden just kind of start scattering and running and right through the middle of them comes a hog that's a quarter bigger than the one i've already shot <laughs> and 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 this and the one you shot was the biggest one the in one, the world the he, one i shot thought. was the biggest yeah, one in the, in the county hey scott are you glad you didn't decide to get on the ground and grunt like a hog and try to scare him off? I'm glad I wasn't on my hands and knees trying to sneak up on him out there. <laughs> so I, I see this hog. He just comes charging in, like just charging in. And these other hogs, you can tell, like give him a wide berth, you know. And when he comes to a stop trotting out there, he's 15 yards underneath my tree. 
and he sticks his nose in the leaves and goes to pick up acorns. Well, by then, man, I'm at full draw again, and I'm so high in this tree I'm in. It, 15 yards, it was almost, it felt almost like I was shooting straight down at him, you know. And when I touched the release, my arrow just 12 rings this thing in the top of the shoulder on its right side, and it buries up almost to the fletching. I mean, just, just stuck him perfect. When I shot him, he takes about two jumps, kind of uphill, and then just whips around, and he is double mad. And he's hmm. just, he's just, he's just kind of spinning circles, looking, 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 looking. He's just like he's, he's looking for whatever, whatever just bit him, whatever <laughs> just bit him. Yeah. And I'm sitting there looking. I shot. I used to shoot white, three white fletchings on my arrows because you could see them in flight so much better. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm looking at these three white fletchings against this black hog body that is in a twelve ring spot on this hog, and he acts like he's not even shot. Hmm. And I remember thinking. Well, I can't shoot one better than that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but I'm digging for another arrow, you know. I'm reaching around there, and I'm trying to grab another arrow out of my quiver, and I get one, and he's, he's still just kind of standing there. And he let – I just about – I got an arrow knocked, and I'm, I'm in the process of trying to get my release on the string. And he finally decides he better get, get gone. So he takes off just charging up this ridge, just running straight uphill as you can – I'm talking a steep ridge, just tr- trotting up this ridge like there's nothing wrong with him whatsoever. And I'm watching this hog just run off out of my life forever, it looks like. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, I can't believe it. And he's just a dead stride about 20, 30 yards from me. He's just at a dead trot. And all of a sudden, it was just like you pulled the power cord on him, and he was dead instantly. He just comes to a sliding halt up there. And never wiggled again. It was all she wrote. <laughs> so, of course, you know, I'm about ready to jump out of the tree. I'm so excited, you know. So I grab my radio. I'm digging it out. You owl hoot again. I turn around and whoo, you know, I'm excited. <laughs> and about that time, Tim comes on the radio. He's like, how about it, Scott? I was like, and I start in. Tim, you're not going to believe what just happened. Son, I just shot. I shot an absolute tank of a hog, bigger than the first one I shot. And I go on it. I go on for two or three minutes on the radio without taking a breath, hardly, you know. So anyway, I finally get done telling my whole story on the radio, and I take my thumb off the button, and Tim goes, "Man, that's awesome! I just shot a big buck." <laughs> and I'm like, and I thought I heard what I heard, you know, and I'm like, "Come back! Did you just say you shot a big buck?" <laughs> He's like, 10-4, I just shot a big buck over here. And, of course, I'm like, man, this is the most awesome day ever. You know what I mean? Like, we're just, we can't believe it, you know. So, to cut the story down, Tim just, he's not sure. He, he's pretty sure he made a good hit. But you know how you are. When you don't see the arrow hit the deer, mm-hmm. you've all got this doubt in your mind. And the longer you sit, the more you doubt it and all this other stuff. So, Tim come and got me later. And I said, man, if you're worried about your hit, Let's uh we've got plenty of work to do. Uh, let's get these hogs out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh we'll go and get yours. Uh we'll get it'll give it some time, you know. So anyway, long story short, he had hit that deer perfect. He ran maybe 75 yards. He just didn't see him go down, you and know. Those hogs and that buck filled up the back of the truck. Is filled that a 17-foot tracker boat, I can tell you too. Yeah. Hey, we 
we had, uh, and that bucks, he was a dandy. I mean, like right at Pope and Young class, eight point. Nice. Just a really nice buck. At the time, I want to say that was um, for sure probably the biggest buck at the time Tim had ever killed with a bow. Hmm. I mean, it was a it was a good deer. That was a good day of hunting. But it was an awesome day of hunting. Started out as a deer hunt, turned into a hog hunt, but ended as a deer hunt. Whitetail Institute launched the food plot revolution in 1988 with a concentration on research and real-world testing of forage products specifically for whitetail deer. Whitetail Institute's research and development team of agronomy experts provide effective, personalized service. I've been using Imperial Whitetail Clover for a long time in a food plot back behind my house. In 2007, I killed the biggest buck of my life over an Imperial Whitetail Clover small quarter-acre food plot. Imperial Whitetail Clover is the only clover scientifically developed through years of selective breeding. Clover Extreme Genetic Stability provides extreme cold tolerance, disease, and drought tolerance. It really does. Clover is coated with Whitetail Institute's Rain Bond, a polymer coating added for enhanced seedling survivability. They have an exclusive offer for Bear Grease listeners, 15% off Imperial Clover when you use the code BEAR at whitetailinstitute.com. That's whitetailinstitute.com and use code BEAR for 15% off. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who's used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Sport Dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. Born in 2003 in Knoxville, Tennessee, Sport Dog was forged by a passionate group of hunters and dog trainers who intimately understood the challenges of the field and the special connection between hunters and their dogs. The people at Sport Dog know that having a well-trained hunting dog is more than just having a reliable partner. It's a commitment to their safety and unlocking their full potential. The Sport Dog promise to customers is simple. Gear the way you design it. Every product Sport Dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field, ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. Trust Sport Dog, where innovation meets passion, to elevate your hunting experience and strengthen the bond with your local companion. Using tracking equipment on my squirrel and coon dogs is extremely important to me to track my squirrel dogs and my one old coon dog that's not very good. Get 20% off your first purchase using the code BEARGREASE. Go to www.sportdog.com slash BEARGREASE to learn more.
Randy, this would be a good time to clear up the the roar in your story that we never got to. So Randy told a story on the first Whitetail Stories podcast. Yep. About um, buck falling in a mine shaft. Yes. And you you talked about a roar, which now we're talking about hog roars, yeah. bear roars, but it was the buck. It was a buck roar. And I, I had never really heard one before. I'd heard them grunt, and I've heard all kinds of stuff. Deer blow at you. And, but when he made that noise, it made the hair on my neck stand up. I was It woke me up. I was like, oh, my gosh, what was that? But at mm. the time, I still didn't know it was a buck because I didn't think they could make that noise. Um, but, you know, once all that transpires, like it had to be that buck. And uh, talking with Scott about it, you know, he explained a buck roar and all that kind of stuff. And I've heard them like on – YouTube videos and stuff is like, that's exactly what it is. Mm. And I think on that podcast or maybe the next one there, it was brought up on one of the stories, uh, buck roar and they played it. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's exactly what it was. Mm. Uh, did you like how Phil, uh, the meat eater sound guy put an actual like lion roar? <laughs> yeah. Over your thing? Yeah, yeah. I didn't have yeah. time to tell Phil, Hey, you didn't have to do that. But, uh, cause I, cause the way I think he heard the story was that like it was a bear, bear roared. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was like, <laughs> well, to trim the story down, what I left out was, you know, I mentioned how out of shape I was, but I contemplated just sitting on the ground. I was so tired. But when I sat down above that trail, I looked right beside me and there was a big old pile of bear scat. Hmm. And I thought, okay, I'm not sitting. Oh, right so here. you had reason to think there was a bear yes, in there. Because there was bear sign. And when I climbed up in the tree as it started getting daylight, down below me i could see something really dark and i first was like that's not a bear it had moved by now but then i was like is it a hole the bears you know and come to find out it was the opening of that mine shaft i just didn't know what it was oh so you know as as it's getting daylight i'm looking down there and i'm trying to figure out what that is so how far was the mine shaft from you <laughs> probably about 30 yards Okay, yards so it her. wasn't that far. It wasn't that far, but the way it's cut, I mean, it was so steep. You could tell something was there, but you couldn't it's, tell what it was. Yeah. Um, Scott sent me a picture today of the buck in the mine shaft. Okay. I, I, I'm going to put that on my Instagram awesome. at some point. Awesome. Yeah. I posted the actual buck on my Instagram after the thing came out, just so anybody looked at it could see how, how big. Because he was a good-sized buck. I mean, it's the biggest buck I've ever killed. Uh, and then... Add some water on him. We can count that water weight, right? Sure. Uh, lifting him up out of the hole. He, he was heavy. <laughs> yeah. Now, Andy, were you with your grandson when he killed the big... I mean, I know you weren't sitting with him, but the big deer... There was a big deer killed two days ago. Yes. Scott's son. Saturday yes. morning. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was a that was a heck of a deer. Big deer. Yeah. Good. How big was it, Scott? This is your son. Was it Blake? Yep. Yeah. My son, Blake. Uh, it's his biggest buck ever he's ever killed. It's gonna the deer's gonna be right at 130 inch eight point. Yeah. So public land deer. Public land deer. Yep. Good deer. And all you're looking for on public land over there where we were hunting for sure. Heck yeah. He he calls me up Friday night and and he says, Paul, you hunting tomorrow? And I said, Yeah. And he said, You care if I go with you? And I said, Well, no, I don't care if you go. He said, Where are we going? I said, I don't know. We're gonna go down south. I said, We'll dump you out down there somewhere. You know. And so anyway, we go down and of course when he, when he shows up and, and I got to say this, of course, I'm a stickler about this. I said, be at my house at four 30. 
and he was at my house at 4.30. So that was a plus. And then he gets out. That's a good start. It's a good start. But then things kind of went downhill a little bit. He <laughs> he, uh, he said, well, y'all going to hunt all day? And I said, well, I don't know. He said, well, you know, if you're going to hunt all day, I'm going to take my own rig because I need to come in. And I said, so there's already stipulations on this hunt, right? Mm. So we give him, you can imagine this, what we did to him going down that morning. We, we kind of rode him pretty hard. And anyway, went down and put him in the tree and and uh kevin he, spurgeon he was hunting with us and so i dumped we dumped took blake down to the tree and put him up in the, or died and put him up in the tree but showed him the tree and i went and dumped kevin off and i went and we were going to hunt till 11 o'clock and uh to explain why you put chose that spot well the reason we chose that spot was uh cole had uh about it's been a month ago, probably, right? First, first weekend of bow season. It was the 8th, 8th of October. Was it? Mm-hmm. Anyway, he had hunted that stand, and and uh, he had three bucks coming on him that morning, including this deer. Hmm. Uh, and it just wore him out at 12 yards. And, you know, when the when the buck come in, Cole says, there's no way this deer can get away from me. I'm, I'm going to kill him. You know, he said there was a time or two that he could have shot him through a little bit of stuff. And he said, why, why would I want to do that? He's going to give me a broadside shot at 12 yards. And he said about that time, that deer kind of turned and one of them bucks, he, he run at one of those bucks and a buck run off and he chased him up the ridge and walked out of his life. Hmm. Never even got a shot at him. And so Cole kept telling us somebody needs to go hunt this deer. Said he's a bruiser. He's a big buck. He said, he said, in fact, he said, probably the biggest buck I would have ever killed if I would have killed him. Hmm. And so anyway, so Kevin and I, before Blake had called, we were going to go hunt and I was going to hunt that stand and, and Kevin was going to go his. And so I, I told Blake, he really owes me a bunch now that I put him in my stand. But, uh, hmm. anyway, there was no ground shrinkage on that one. And I called cold and I said, well, you didn't have the big guy on him. Cause I mean, he was a big buck deer. I mean, a big 11 something inch tines It's 11 and a quarter G2 25 inch main beams. I mean, yeah, that's, that's good main beams on any deer, you know? Yeah. Big buck deer, but he, (laughs) so when I went to pick Kevin up, uh, Kevin was nonchalant. Of course I didn't have any service where I was at and everybody, Scott and Blake and Kevin had been talking. And anyway, I went to throwing my stuff in the back of the truck and and Kevin says, well, we need to make some room. And I said, what are you talking about? I said, did Blake kill that big buck? He said he sure did. And so we take hmm. off and go over there. It's noon by then. When I come over the hill, old Blake's up, give me the fist bump, you know. <laughs> <in the middle laughs> <of the road. laughs> he calls his dad, and Scott says he couldn't even get it out. Dad, Dad, I just killed the biggest buck of my life, you know. And wow. uh, he was some kind of tore up. But that, you know what? That's what it's all about. That's that's. Yeah. And we talk about this all the time, and it's not about you Really, I get as much. And, and Scott had we had this conversation this week, and it's like Gary talk, talking about taking you down where the deer were. That's the way we operate. You know, mm. it's not about me going to the best spot. It's about I think anybody that's ever hunted with me would say, "I'm going to give you the best spot." Mm. I'm not. I'm not greedy I, when it comes to that. I can vouch for that because. Mm-hmm. I'm by no means the greatest hunter. I hunted with you in high school, Clay, when I think neither one of us were killing deer. Uh, mm-hmm. You moved up with them and started killing deer, and then they 
Scott moves back to me now. That's when I hook up with them and I start killing deer. But I've been to camp with these guys, and it is an art form. You guys have it mapped out. Y'all have probably 20 stands based on the wind. And you sit around the camp the night before and figure out who's going where. And it's a, it's a whole strategy. And, I mean, it's very productive. So. Well, I'd rather see uh, some. You know, I mean, I get as much thrill out of somebody else getting a thrill. I'm not, I'm not a loner when it comes to deer hunting or turkey hunting. I like companionship. I like people to gig, and I hope we get into some of the gigging on some of Steve's stuff. I've been waiting for it to happen. <laughs> I already said no. Steve just sitting over there acting like there, a There's like some a, highlight like reels with him, but, but I tell you, it's all about companionship. And, and uh, you know, Scott, Steve grew up with my kids and treated them like his own, and he's, he's walked thousands of miles behind me over the years. I mean, great friendship even before that we played little league baseball together that's how far we go back that's a oh, lot really? of, that's a lot of years and uh, but i think hunting is about making somebody happy you know it, it's not this yeah. it's not about me especially anymore yeah i mean it's I, I like to kill buck deer as much as anybody but blake when that boy killed that deer that's what it's really all about it's kind of yeah. like when when ranella lets you shoot the moose mm-hmm. you know that's that shows you kind of Made me think a whole lot of him. When I, and I think Gary made, pointed that out in, in one of the uh, podcasts about that shows you what kind of guy he is when he lets you <laughs> shoot the moose that he's always wanted mm-hmm. to shoot. So, mm-hmm. but, uh, so we, give, we give Blake a hard time. We told him that, you know, by looking at it, I thought he ought to give it at least another year. He shouldn't have shot it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Should have let it wait. <laughs> you know, it would probably been a whole lot bigger little thing, you know, but it was truly – when you kill a buck like that, it's a whole different. They're a whole different category than a two and a yeah. half or three and a half year old deer. Yeah, they're just they're just big. Yeah, well, I was excited to see it. Scott messaged me the other day. Yeah, right. I, I sent it. In fact, Dad and Kevin had not even come out to Blake yet when I sent you the picture. Oh, is of that it. right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was working. I, I wasn't even hunting. Blake, of course, Blake calls me. I pick up the phone. I see it's him. When he calls me from the woods, I know something's happened, you know? Yeah. So I pick up the phone, and I can't even understand what he's saying. He says something like, you know, just, Dad, I just shot the biggest bug I've ever shot. <laughs> you know, I mean, I can't even understand him. And I was like, are you sure you made a good hit? Like, let's slow down for a second. Are you sure you made a good hit? And he's like, oh, I've already seen him. He's already he's on the ground, you know? I mean, he'd already <laughs> found him and everything, you yeah. know? And anyway, I said, well, you got a picture? Well, no. I was like, Blake, take a picture of him. You know, like give me give me something to go off of. I'm living my life through you today. You yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> so yeah. he uh, he takes a picture of it, sends it. To, I think the first picture I sent to you is just a deer laying on the yeah. ground. But yeah, yeah. And you could tell it was big, but you couldn't really tell yeah. that You're, much about it. You were one of the first three people I think I sent that picture to. Yeah. Oh, Blake yeah. Brown just gets down and reloads and gives him another down there. <laughs> <laughs> he's not going to go He wasn't going to go anybody. He's dead, I'm you know. I'm going to let that one get up. Hey, he just give him another to the shoulder. He's laying there. That was funny. Now, Steve, you've been hunting with Andy. You now 20-plus years. Yeah. 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 I've been hunting with Andy. And in fact, Since 1987. Scott, how old were you? Were you about Blake's yeah. age when you killed that big buck down off on the back side of the mountain and I came to you and you said, How are we gonna get that buck out of here? And I shoulder packed him just like you were talking about. That would oh, actually really? Yeah. 
I'm not sure how old I was because Cole killed one on the same morning, if you'll remember. You was about 21 or 22. I wanted to he say was Cole 12. was 10. Or, yeah, 11. And if Cole was 10, I'd have been 20 when that happened. And we were down the bottom, and I went off down, off the middle <laughs> mountain down to him, down in the bottom. And Scotty killed a big old buck, and he said, man, how are we going to get this buck out of here? And I said, I'll show you how we're going to get him out of here. And I just <laughs> threaded him down and tied it together. And I just bent down and he helped me and I got him on my back. And I said, now you carry the gun. And I'm talking, it's straight up. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm going to have to take my time and he'll tell you. I went right up that mountain, grabbing tree to tree and carried his buck out of the mountain. For nice. <laughs> you know now, what I was thinking the whole time? That's the best plan we'd come up with all morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. exactly. We'd stayed in tents the night before to, up there, what we call the Parker Place. Oh, yeah. and, and, uh, we were all, I mean, it was, it was blue cold. I mean, it was cold. We was all laying there in their sleeping bags, and all of a sudden we heard out there the brush. You know what? <laughs> you know, you got to get a little closer. And I'm not kidding you. There was an armadillo. We didn't know it was armadillo. We thought it was a black panther. <laughs> it come between the tents, did it? It, it? Yeah, rubbed it run the tent. It rubbed the I mean, come, and I mean, we yeah. just been there with our hair stood up. You know? if, you'll remember, if you'll remember, you know, armadillos can't see very well. Yeah. And he, he comes running, running by, and he just square centers an ice chest. <laughs> and y'all think the panther's trying to get oh, new yeah, stuff. We look at each other and go, what the heck? You go, out, you go out there and see. You go out there and see. Oh, and Steve goes, uh, he goes, that Armadillo's wondering, that wasn't here last night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, where, where did that ice cooler come from? Oh, that's funny. Yeah, one of the we, greatest stories, though, about Steve is one night we had been hunting down on the lake, and, and it was me and Scott and Tim, and we didn't get out the way after dark, and <laughs> you got to load the boat and get everything going. And we're coming up the highway and all of a sudden we get service and Steve has called Scott 10 times. He's called me <laughs> a half a dozen times. There's voicemail after voicemail. There's missed calls. There's text messages. <laughs> See, they Somebody's left, died. They just left me over the woods. <laughs> I mean, what can I say? <laughs> but anyway, Steve shot a buck and, and, uh, He's uh, he's needs some help finding it. And he mm. said, "Man, there's a there's a ton of blood." So here we are. It's it's nine thirty, nine thirty, ten o'clock. Time oh, it's we get well back up. after dark oh, already. Oh, yeah, I mean it's anyway. Scott, tell the story that I'll I'll get in there here in a minute. <laughs> well, when I when I listen to the voicemail, Steve he, he says, "Scott, hey," he said, "I'm over here at Aaron's stand. It's a stand location we have over mm-hmm. at Nazareth. I'm over yeah. here at Aaron's stand." He said, "I've just shot a big buck over here." He said, "I mean a big one." He said, "He said I've got good blood, but I've lost it. I've lost the blood. Can y'all bring the dog over here?" And it just so happened that year we had a dog in camp that could trail mm. a blood trail. And so I hang up the phone. I look, you know, I'm done with the voicemail. I look over at Dad and I said, "Well, boys, our night's just begun." <laughs> it's one of those. Yeah, let me let me just put this. It's one of those. Andy Brown says we're going on a wildcat venture, <laughs> and and him and I in the hunting years we've hunted together. We have been on a mini wildcat venture. Wildcat, I'm telling and you. Wildcat venture. That's <laughs> yeah. what we know. We call it a wildcat. He, he said, well, boys, we're going on a wildcat. That means we may be out all night looking <laughs> yeah, for Yeah, midnight. Yeah. So we get to camp. We load the dog. We drive up there to Aaron Stan. Steve, he's he's pacing the hole in the ground. He says, boys, he said, I've got, he said, I've got great blood. I mean, great blood. 
and uh, he said, but it just goes off down a little, kind of a little holler, and you come up out of that holler, it just quits. And, yeah, of course, we're thinking, well, he maybe, maybe he just made a turn or, you know, how they can do. Scott says, Steve, where'd you hit it? <laughs> yeah. I said, well, did you hit him good? Steve said, I, man, I had it right behind the shoulder when I shot. And I said, well, well, heck, if he's bleeding that good, shot behind the shoulder, he ain't going to go far, you know. So we walked down there, and Steve takes us out to where this deer standing when he shot him, and he's not, he has not over-exaggerated the blood trail. It is a fantastic blood trail. One of those you can I see. I believe you, Steve. You just poured out. I mean, you can see it in the flashlight way up in front of you. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, just a great blood trail. And I remember, look, I'd look at Steve. I said, Steve, this deer ain't going nowhere. Yeah. Bleeding like this. And Steve says, well, Scott, I'm telling you, he just goes up here and he quits. Of course, we got this dog with us. And, of course, it's on the blood. We don't need the dog yet. Because you can see the blood plenty well enough, but this dog's trying to pull his collar off. He's wanting to get going, you know. And Tim has him on a on a leash, and we go down there, and just like Steve said, across the little holler, just quits, no more blood. And we all just kind of assumed he turned downhill, you know. Deer shot good generally doesn't going to go downhill. There's exceptions to every rule because I've seen him go uphill. We all probably have, but this we just felt like this deer probably turned downhill, so. The dog was feeling the same way. The dog turned downhill. We just assumed that the dog was right, and off down the mountain we go. And you know, even though the dog you feel like is on the deer, you're still wanting a spot of blood for affirmation, right? You know, and we're all kind of trying to just find a spot of blood. We don't find anything. We finally get down in the bottom of this ridge. Goes down and hits kind of a cane bottom. And when we got down in that bottom. The dog kind of turned east up the bottom there, and when he did, I just looked down on the ground, and there was a spot of blood. And I said, all right, we're for sure on him. I mean, there's blood right here. And about the time I said that, the dog just turns and goes right back up the ridge we just came off, just a little bit further east from where we came off. He goes right back up. And we, I remember us all looking at each other going, "This, that ain't good. Like, he doesn't need a turn uphill. You know what I mean? We just felt like, if the deer was hurt bad, he wouldn't have turned up hill, that mm-hmm. steep of a hill. And the dog just keeps going up the hill, keeps going up the hill. And Tim, you know, he's got flashlights. And the minute he's out of sight up there, and we're kind of just standing down there at the bottom where this buck had turned up, or we thought he'd turned up. And we're sitting there talking, and I just walked out there about 10 or 15 yards from, I'll tell you what I was doing. We were <laughs> We got off down there. It's just buck scrape under every bush now. <laughs> and I thought, boys, we found the hot spot right here, you know. And so I'm walking around down there just kind of looking, surveying the buck sign. And about that time, I find some blood uh, north, not up going up the ridge, but actually away from the ridge north. I said, guys, there's blood right here. I don't think that dog's on the right deer. And anyway... I think the dog realized it too. He got up there a little ways and just kind of was done with it. And what it was, he got on a perfectly healthy deer in the process of all Mm -hmm. this. So Tim comes back down the ridge with this dog and we walk out there and get him on this blood that I'd found and it's back on again. The dog's on him again and here we go across this cane bottom. Well, it's only about 50 or 60 yards out there until it hits creek, a big creek, like a swimming hole kind of creek. You know what I mean? Deep deep creek. Deep and creek. uh we go out there and and this cane bottom just goes out there and when it hits the creek bank it's on it's on the channel side of this creek meaning 
It's just a bluff off to the water. Probably a three and a half foot, four foot drop off mm-hmm. into a big hole of water that runs back west a hundred yards back west. And uh we said, Well, he crossed the creek right here. And so you can't cross right there. It's way it's over your head deep. So we thought, well, let's we'll go down creek, we'll cross at a shoal. We do that. We come back up straight across from where some of us stayed to where last blood was, so we knew where to try to pick up the blood on right. the opposite side of the creek. We get down there, no blood trail. None whatsoever. We we scour the bank. We exhaust all efforts trying the dog's not interested. You you could just tell something happened. Well, common sense will tell you, well, maybe the deer's in the creek. So we start looking. We're shining creek. We're walking up and down the creek bank. And anyway, Steve gets away from me. He gets down there down creek probably, down creek, downstream, about 75 yards or so. And Steve goes, hey, Scott, come here. What is this over here? So I walk down there, and Steve's standing on the bank. goes, what's that right over there? And I shine my light. We've got pretty good lights. I'm shining on this stuff. There's just a something, like a, to me, it almost looked like just a piece of wood floating mm-hmm. or like under the surface, maybe just, just barely sticking out of the surface. This creek kind of on the other bank over there. And I said, well, I don't know, Steve. He goes, you think that's him? I was like, ah, I don't know. Anyway, Tim comes over there. We say, Tim, is that, what do you think that is? Oh, Tim, he looks it over and says, boys, that's him. And I mean no more than said that, and Steve is running down the creek. <laughs> what, should we let Steve take it from here? Yeah. Back to the shoal, Steve goes, leaves me and Tim standing there. You know? And they got the light on him. Yeah, yeah we're holding the light on him. Yeah. Dad, we tell Dad, we say, Dad, deer's going to be west of you. So Dad, he works his way down the bank till he gets over there. Dad confirms it. He looks down in there and goes, yep, boys, there's our deer. That's him. And... Anyway, Steve, he's down there and he's crossed the creek. Steve's built this deer up. You know, he's a big buck. He's just that biggest buck he's ever shot with his bow. I mean, he's mm. told us all this stuff. And he was. And Dad's looking, <laughs> big dad, point. Dad's looking at the dad's looking at this buck, you know. He can see him good. We can't see him. Dad's looking straight down at him almost. And it's four foot drop off. Off a bluff. Off a bluff into this hole of water that's over your head deep. So Dad's just kind of standing there looking at him, you know. And Steve says, Andy, you see him? He said, now, Steve, he said, now, I could be wrong, but I don't think that thing's got but Spike on one side. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, messing with me. <laughs> yeah, listen to it. I knew better now. I ain't going to tell you what he said. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, As it, he's it, running it, through the barricade, it, it, was, it wasn't up Christian. I <laughs> So Steve finally gets around over he there. He just bails off in that creek. I mean, he just he just hops <laughs> that I'm, deep in the water right there. And it's it's cold. Oh yeah, oh, it's, I it's mean it's bad cold. cold. You know, it's thirty cold. degrees and it's nearly midnight. Mm. I just bail off in there too. And when I do, it's deeper than I thought. I just right there and I'm up about 10 feet, and I get my breath, you know, and I'm right there with that buck. And I look up at Andy, I said, how are we going to get him out of here? Well, I take he my said, belt off. How are we going to get him out of here? 
I take my belt off. He's pod. I take my belt off and I wrap him around that deer's horns and I hand him the end of the belt. The end of the belt. Mm. Yeah. And while mm. he's pulling, I'm shoving. And we shoved this buck out on the bank up there. Well, I, you know, I had to climb out of there four foot up, you know, and I get yeah. up. And by the time I get up there, Andy, he's looking him over. Steve, no, where'd you shoot that thing? <laughs> and he's looking. I said, I think I was aiming right behind his shoulder. Well, there ain't no hole behind his shoulder, okay? <laughs> and I'm, I've had the best hit I ever had. I'm going to tell you boys right now, if you want to kill one dead like that, just shoot him in the femoral artery. Right <laughs> you just shoot him in the back of the thigh. I said, I had, I had one shot. of them. <laughs> but I had got both of them. Oh. Mm. And double femoral, femoral double. artery. Double. No, that's why he didn't have no blood. Well, he said, well, we're going to drag him 300 yards out of here. Oh, so he said, I ain't even taking him out here. I said, what do you mean? I said, Steve, that's the biggest book you're killing your life. I ain't taking him out. He said, I'll never hear the end of it, Scott Brown. Scott he Brown. said, he will never let me live this down. Well, and, and the reason that is, let me just clarify something right quick, okay? Oh. Uh, that's not the first one I shot like it. <laughs> yeah, that was part two. That was or part, part three. three. I don't no, remember. No, that's part two. That's part two. Part two. Okay. The first one I did like that down there on a hunting deal. We had another wildcat venture about midnight mm. down there, and I had we had drove down that afternoon, and Wayne Pate and I had saw the biggest buck I'd ever seen in Howard County. I'm I'm not joking. Huge, probably a one sixty inch buck. Had a drop time. We rush back to camp, get stands. I come back and I put it in the, the oak tree that the deer was feeding under with the doe for the that night. That sounds hunt. reasonable. Exactly. Right there. Right <laughs> put, there. Put in it, it in the tree. In the tree. Yeah. And I'm grunting there right at dark, and all of a sudden I hear a crash, boom, pop coming up the hill to me, you know, and I think, oh, boy, here he is. Of course, my left leg was quivering, you know. I hadn't <laughs> bow hunted near as much as these guys, okay? I just started bow hunting. And you know how that shakes get? With your left mm-hmm. leg, it wouldn't settle down. Well, finally, it got settled down. Well, I looked, and here come a nice eight point. Well, I just draw back and shoot him, and sure enough, I didn't hit where I was supposed to. <laughs> I hit him back there like that. Well, we finally got him. Oh, but he shot, he brought I shot that him. back, right? I brought right. that. I broke that, and we oh. got him. Well, we get back to camp, and Scott, he puts in on me. Now, Steve, why in the world? Well, he got a target, and he set a target up out there. Well, I was just. Stacking them arrows in there at 20 and 30 yards with a target. Well, let's hold on a minute. Come on now. <laughs> yeah, he's left a whole lot out of this one. I yeah, put yeah. the target at about 12 yards because that's how far the deer was. And I said, Steve, try to miss that target as bad as you miss that deer. <laughs> that's tough to do. He You're cut, trying to diagnose what was happening. Yeah, he's diagnosing He, he cut both yeah. tendons on the back hind quarters of that thing. And telling us he shot it right his back, right on top of the back. I hit him. I don't know how and he I did that. And I told him I hit a limb. <laughs> So now he's out here showing me and trying to tell me what I'm doing wrong. And he said, I just can't figure this out. And so when, now back to part two. I shot this buck, and that happened again. That's the second deer I killed since that happened. Yeah. We get back to camp, and he's sitting around. He said, I got to figure this out. I think I know what you're doing. I said, well, I'd like you to tell me what I'm doing because that ain't where I'm aiming. It's wrong where that is going. <laughs> 
he said, he said, because he's giving me this. He said, now, in your mind, when the deer comes up, he said, you need to anchor the same spot. You need to visualize if you're leaning out, you're up 30 foot in a tree. Don't just stick your bow down, lean out. You know, he and I've got all this going through my mind. You know, I'm thinking all these things. Scott, I picture him as the, the bow guy, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> so I'm doing all these things, but I'm not hitting the deer where I plan to. Mm-hmm. He's figured it out. He says, I know what you're doing. I said, well, what is it? He said, when you hit that release, you're jerking your head up to see where the air is going. That's exactly what I was doing. I'm jerking <laughs> instead of just letting my air do it. Mm-hmm. It's the very next deer I kill. I, I have not shot another deer like that. I have killed deer now. That's Knock good. on wood. <laughs> yeah. So you diagnosed him. He shot. diagnosed me. Diagnosed him. But to Girl. watch him, y'all just have to be here if this was live TV to watch him <laughs> describe to me how I was doing it. You know, during <laughs> it, it, it is hilarious. Bug eyed. Oh, yeah, man, but, yeah. How funny. But you know, where would hunting be if you didn't have Wildcat Ventures? That's right. I mean, I have more fun. Oh man, we have more fun doing crazy stuff oh, than yeah. you know. It's not about like Andy said. It's not about killing the deer or, or, you know, turkey hunting. I've called this boy right here. I've called all his turkeys but one up. And the one I didn't call up for him, his his grandmother was in the hospital having a heart cath and fixing to go back. And he's calling me on the phone telling me about this turkey and he don't know where to go get to kill it. And mm-hmm. I'm on the phone with him and tell him like how to While set he's up. in the woods. While he's in the woods. And I'm talking, whispering to him. And he goes up and kills the turkey. So that's not, that's but good. Ha- you know, Gary was talking about the other night about the clicking deer. Mm-hmm. Clicking. <clears throat> One night was hunting over on the lake and Steve was hunting a little notch and I was hunting. Well, it's just a long ridge that I hunt over there. Anyway, I was up in a big old pine tree and I was high and, and, uh, I'd been there all evening starting to get dark. And so I started taking my stuff off to get down. And all of a sudden I heard a deer go to blowing right off down the lake from me. And uh, <clears throat> anyway, I thought wind was coming right up the lake to me. It wasn't winded me. And about that time, I could hear a deer coming just in a run, just running right up. Not really running hard, but just thumpty, thumpty, thump, come, come right under me and stopped. I was up. I was really too high because I had a little bit of canopy under me. And uh, <clears throat> I was sitting there admiring that deer in fact i was gonna i didn't it didn't really matter to me whether it's a buck or doe i was gonna shoot it if you know and about that time i just heard this deer coming thump 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 just coming right up the ridge that dude gets right out there i'm talking about just just right there now it's late and that dude goes just like that really yeah and, of course, my hat was standing about that old man. I never heard one do that before. I mean, just that clicking, you know. Hmm. And when I seen him, he walked out and he had his tail up, had his nose on the ground, and I could see horns, and I just pulled in the middle of him and just let him have it. Well, I heard it hit him. <clears throat> so I shoot him down. And I get down there, and, of course, I've hit him back. I, have, I hit him too far back. I had guts on the air, so I just stuck that dude in the ground. I just walked out quite a ways in there. So I went back and Steve had shot one and, and that's another story. Scott did to come over there to try to help us find Steve's in the rhino when you, when the coyote, coyote can run 33 miles an hour. Can't run 34, but he can run 33 okay. miles an hour. 
I can confirm that. You know that? <laughs> but anyway, uh, they come over. We looked for Steve's, did find Steve. So we went in there. And back in those days, we used to get stuff called Blue Star. It was yeah, Blue Star. Blood Illuminator Spray. Yep. And we took that with us on every hunt. And I don't know how many hunts that saved us because that deer, we went back to where it was. The deer had good blood going downhill. When he turned uphill, when he turned up, it just quit. And Scott said, of course, we had a body. You got to shake it up a little tablet you put in there. You sprayed it. I remember when you sprayed it and then you used light. Yeah. Yeah. You turn all your lights off. And you turn all your lights off. And Scott said, turn the lights off. And of course, he sprayed like that. And what, what had happened, we'd have never... He just turned, he done 90 yeah, up there. He turned double back. And he went right off. I'm telling you, just the steepest, just straight down. Right down a little old holler. And anyway, we tracked him off down there to the creek. Tracked him across the creek. And he got up there. And when he crossed the creek, uh, we didn't go far out there until he had laid down. Found it where he'd laid. But when he got up, he kind of walked on in towards the ridge. And we kind of lost him anyway. Uh, finally, we did it again, and he had turned down an old road that ran right along the edge of the ridge. And he went, I don't know what, would you say 100 yards down there? Probably. Maybe. He went all the way to the water and turned around and come back. He was actually laying faceless. And, I mean, mm. he, he hadn't been dead long. He was still... <laughs> And we just rolled him up. We gutted him, rolled him back in the lake, tied him to a stump. And the next morning, we drove in, put a boat into the lake, and drove in there with a boat and come and got him. Mm. But, but that was another wildcat venture. But we found him. But that blue was, star was good stuff. And that he was, was a big a eight point clicking. Boat. But but Scott asked me, he said, "How big is I?" Said, I don't know. He's legal. I, I couldn't tell you if he's one seventy or, or a basket eight. But he's a bit, you know when he when he went to clicking. I'm a shooting. <laughs> uh, um, I, I've, I've got to ask you guys. So of all the stories that you've heard on these two podcasts, and I'll say I've had incredible feedback on these two podcasts. You know, it's kind of hard to rate feedback for me because I, I hear a lot of stuff from different people and we do so much, so much variety between like doing frontiersmen or, or highlighting somebody for, you know, dry ground mountain lion hunting in Arizona, like this style of podcast that we just did, this this collection of stories. Um, I had people just loved it. I got a, really a lot of great feedback. And I'm always shocked. Anytime I ask someone, I'll say, what was your favorite story? Just a random friend. They surprise me every time. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, it's for sure going to be this. And they'll tell me this other story but uh brandy what what was what was your favorite story you heard can't pick your own i'm not i'm not kissing your up story to you. your story was uh many people's favorite the <clears throat> mine shaft bug yes, it was. U- unique and it, you told it well too what's what's awesome about that story then i'll move on to your question here is that again i i did i grew up in a house with my dad worked for the forest service for 37 years he didn't want to go in the woods on his days off. He knew where mm. all the deer, all the turkey and all that was, but he had no interest in going on his day off. So I didn't grow up that way. So it wasn't until my thirties really that I really started hunting and it was working with Scott and talking to Andy and Steve, um, 
learning about wind and food and, you know, where to get. And it's, I mean, it was instant. I mean, I picked up a bow. Scott told me how to shoot a bow. I was seeing bucks. You, you keep my, your head down on the peep side. My <laughs> first season bow hunting. Steve taught you that. I'm seeing mature bucks, which is just unheard of, but, you know, we just couldn't quite get it all put together. Um, so that hunt worked out well because I was able to, on the spot, assess the situation, figure out, you know, what the plan was, where to get and all that kind of stuff. So, um, I wrote some notes from, from the podcast last week and you're taking um, notes. Uh, I wow. did. I did my homework you on get this. Some so. Bonus points with me. If you take notes on yeah. Burger's podcast. <laughs> so, uh, James Lawrence said something about the number 11 caps from the muzzle loader. Mm-hmm. And I have a disdain for those things. Like <laughs> I, I hate them bad. The very next year or the year after I killed that mine chef buck, I scouted a new area and I did it on my own this time. This is the first time I'm going on public land. I'm scouting out an area for myself. I find the spot. I'm on the other side of that mountain. So the deer cannot fall in a hole. <laughs> no and, holes on and that side. I just, I planned it out and you know, I'm like, this, this is going to, this is going to be good. I see a buck that rivals that buck or maybe bigger. And don't tell these guys about it. He's leaving. Uh, he's Steve leaving knows me. where you're at. <clears throat> Steve, Steve probably knows exactly where I'm at, but, uh, he's leaving and I got one shot and it was probably a little too far and I missed. But when the smoke cleared, that dude had ran all the way up underneath my stand. And I'd learned the lesson the year before, start reloading as soon as, as soon as you shoot, start reloading. So I am reloading and I can't get that number 11 cap on, mm. you know, I think I dropped one and then I'm trying to get the other one and I'm trying to hold it together. Cause this buck is like, I'm kind of up on a little ridge, but he is right. If I had a bow, I'd kill him. I mean, mm. he was right there. And as soon as I'm starting to get that in, he's gone and never, never got the second shot off because mm. I couldn't get that number 11. So I can relate to that story there. I can also relate to uh, Giannis's story because he's 43 and he just killed his first buck with a bow. Yeah, I'm that's 42, right. so there's hope for me. There's uh, hope. <laughs> I've killed plenty of does, you know, out of a stand with a bow, but I've yet I've yet to kill a good buck or a buck with uh, with a bow. So. Um, I thought that was pretty awesome because hey, you you actually teed me up to do something I meant to do at the very beginning. Everybody and their brother, everybody and their brother has told me that Giannis got the date wrong. Does y'all any of y'all catch that? Huh? Did not. Oh, hmm. like ten thousand people messaged me. <laughs> Giannis, he got his years wrong, and he said that he killed the buck in twenty twenty two. In November 2022. Oh. And it's only October 2022 right now. So, anyway. Okay. For the record, everyone, thank you for letting me know (laughs) that Giannis got the date wrong. Well, every good deer story deserves some embellishment, Clay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, He he was telling – it was a combination of like two years, and he's kind of going back and forth, and he told the story from the perspective of it being 2021 and 2022. Gotcha. And so, Mm -hmm. anyway. So – as great of a hunter as he is to know that he's still got things he's checking off the box gives everybody hope, you know, yeah. that, that you're going to be able to do it. But not not to kiss up or anything. Oh, you have three stories. But my favorite, and I listened to it twice, and <laughs> and I've played it for people, was your story uh, with uh, Harvey. Mm-hmm. The way you told that story and the way it went back and forth, and I love the dichotomy of, 
you have all the data. He gets in the tree the first time, you know, and, and that's just the way it works. So I've actually quit putting corn and hanging cameras and all that because it'll just make you sick. I, I had a, mm-hmm. I had a buck. I, I named him Tebow, just like you named him Moose. He had 15 <laughs> points on him. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the first year I'm really bow hunting and we corned. I had so many big bucks on this piece of property. I was getting hunt and that one came in and it, I had one evening where I had been in the stand. I had bucks around me. I just couldn't quite get a shot off cause I did, they didn't quite come in my shooting lanes and I just an awesome night of hunting and it got dark and i'm close to a train track so as soon as steve's taking note over here what train track and property yeah. like he's he's gonna figure me out here <laughs> uh but the train goes through so i use that as a cover sound to climb out of the stand at dark and as soon as i get down there's tebow mm. and my bow is hanging from the string and like I, there's no way i'm gonna get it all together and of course he's with two other bucks since i think it was an early hunting season that year so you could still get on those summer bucks and phew, they were gone and then I heard a story later and somebody described that buck to a T and killed it and oh, couldn't really? find it and couldn't find it. Ooh, so he's yet, even worse. He has not been found. Never saw him again. Next year, same thing. Big buck on there. He's a, he's a probably a 12 point. Got him on camera, getting on corn. Like, okay, I'm going to get this buck. And then Scott sends me a picture. We keep bringing up Tim Clark a lot, but Tim had somebody that, showed him this deer they hit with their car on the highway oh wow and it was just the deer's head just cut off on the off by like flies and i'm like that's my buck so it's like you know you know you the, just can't you just can't the, the best thing and I, and I wish i had said it real clearly on the moose story is it really was pretty cool that a hunter that knew what he was doing even mm-hmm. though it was his first hunt on that property and put an awesome shot on it oh i mean <laughs> So many deer, just like what you said, get hit by a car or just disappear, mm-hmm. and you just lose track of them. I was so grateful. I really was that that big deer that I was able to track it down, and it was killed by a hunter. That's a good way for an old buck to die. Absolutely. Is it the hands of a seasoned hunter or, it, or a young hunter, just, just a, a legal hunting experience for somebody absolutely and and to hear him you know however me was that 10 years later get emotional about it just means that man that that worked out the way it's supposed to yeah you know i can confirm the night the the evening that moose was shot you called me and you said hey man i got some news for you i was like oh yeah and i remember exactly what you said you said moose is dead (laughs) And when you said that, I thought, holy cow, you finally you got killed him. him. And before I could even think that, you went, yeah, a guy on the neighboring property killed him. Mm. And I remember being sick for you. Like, I was just sitting there thinking, because you'd sent me pictures of that deer for four years in a row and told me all this stuff. And I can remember thinking how sick you must have been. But I remember you telling me that you weren't as upset about it. You were just glad it was over. I remember you yeah. saying, I'm just glad yeah. it's over. Yeah. Like there was a sense of relief that you yeah. didn't have to spend another minute yes. trying to figure out where to shoot that deer or whatever. It consumed you for about four years. That's a good point that I kind of, that's become so normal to me, that feeling. It was almost relief mm-hmm. that that deer was killed. 
And then 10 years later, and I can kind of talk about this now, I had another big deer in the same area that I was hunting. Exact same scenario. And uh, I almost dreaded it. And it was a big deer too. I mean, a, a big deer, like 170-inch type deer. Yeah, I remember you showed and me I had, thing shot at the deer the year before when it was like a 150 muzzleloader misfired deer was at 35 yards i mean just dead i mean this deer's walking up i've got a muzzleloader in my hand i'm like about to text the taxidermist you know (laughs) and uh i shoot that muzzleloader and it it just fizzles Mm. the deer lives the next year the deer is a i mean no doubt 170 inch deer and i'm Certain that deer is dead too. Really, but when when all that was going down ten years later, another big buck there. I was almost like, I don't want to do this again. Yeah, <laughs> I've got got one out that I've been hunting for. This will be the fourth year, uh, but you you wait like Randy was saying about the cameras. You look and you look and you look and you don't get him. You don't get him. You think something's happened to him, and you you wonder and you wonder and wonder, and all of a sudden. You get this picture. Oh wow! And Andy showed me a picture. That was him last year, but this one here is the same deer. Let me find him here. Andy's scrolling through his photos here. This is this is the way it goes. I was just there a while ago. I had him, but I had him the day before season two years ago had a daylight picture of him and unbelievable. That's the way it goes. Anyway, y'all go ahead and talk and I'll show it to you in a minute. But anyway, <laughs> if you just had just you just don't know. And this year he's not showed up like mm. he was last year. He didn't show up till late. Uh got him two different times. Um right here he is. Like your wow. before last. Giant eight point. He's just an eight. Giant but he, frame he's, he's, eight a, he's a giant. He's got. Yeah. I'd say that G two right there is fifteen inches long. Yeah. I mean it's 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 huge. Monster. But you know we've talked about that Scott and I you don't really know where he stays. You know. Yeah. He shows up. That two or three years ago we had him a lot at night, but those guys don't get that big by being stupid. They know, know how to survive. Um. I was just about to ask the believer what his favorite story was when he took a bride of brownie. Of all the stories, which one stood out to you? Not your favorite. It's hard. People ask me about favorite. There's all these stories are different. Like Andy, his second story he told wasn't even the story that was going to be on the podcast. I just liked it, so it's hard to compare. Like Andy telling about his little story of you know shorter in time story. To a big 30-minute story that we told. So favorite story is the wrong way to say it. What story stood out to you, Dad? Well, the uh, I, I just listened to the last, you know, I listened to both of them, but when I'm thinking of the the second podcast yeah, where Andy told his, and your, your buck wasn't in that, I, I was really impressed with Thrill Kills. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he dispensed some information that, of course, the way I hunt, I couldn't, I couldn't do that. I mean, you know, it just takes too much time and patience. But you could tell that guy knows what the heck he's doing. I'm telling you, he is a stinking hunter. Uh, that was in my notes, Clay. You, you know, I, I like the way oh, really? about was Andy. It. And I saw Him Andy today, about, and it, I, I bragged mm-hmm. on his story. But, yeah, 
uh, he did a great job. You know, I, I like the way he told the story. I like everything about that story, but I like the knowledge that was behind yeah. how he hunts. You know, he took two guys, put their stories to get, you know, how to hunt and then applied it. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, you're trying to learn how to hunt and you go out on your own, monkey around, or you can pick up a book or get with guys like Scott and Andy or Clay and, you know, learn every, but he, he put two really great hunters together, how they did it, put it together and, and made it work. Yeah, he gave some good, uh, that Brad Herndon, he talked about how Andy's takeaway was Herndon says all the signs down low, but hunt up high in the gaps and saddles in mountain country, right. hilly country. Even if there's not a sign in the gaps, a deer going to end up up there. Right. That was good. It, and then the other guy was talking about thermals. Yeah, wind and thermals. And, yeah. You know, he, he was able to put it all together. Uh, your story was probably the most intriguing, but I appreciated Thrillkill's story a bunch. Yeah. Uh, just because I love of a that. surprise ending, man. Uh, I'm a sucker for a surprise ending. Finding a buck ten years later, I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, it was yeah. unfortunate. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't like not finding a deer. I mean, I, I'm not. You know, I've passed on a whole lot of deer. You know, just because. You know, I don't, <clears throat> I don't like not finding one, but it just happens. And uh, you know, li- a liver shot deer is not going to go three, four hundred yards, but. Uh, Sometimes it's pretty difficult. Yeah. It's kind of difficult to find them when they just stop bleeding. Steve, but, any of them stand out to you? Yeah, I was going to tell the truth there. If, <coughs> man, you've been hunting a lot longer with a bow than I have, but if you need me to teach you that shot where you can get a lot of blood and get them. <laughs> do what now? I'll teach you that shot oh, yeah. that I've got. Yeah. You know, you need yeah. to know how to do that. Yeah. <laughs> you too, Randy. Uh, the femor- fem- femoral the f- artery yeah. shot? Yeah. We've been that shooting shot. them in the wrong spot. <laughs> yeah, you've been shooting in the wrong spot, man. We get them, we just have to chase them, you yeah. know? But uh, I like that, you know, I like that number second podcast. Mm-hmm. And what I liked about it, you had four stories where they didn't get bucks and yeah. four stories where they did get bucks. And I, and what I got about all that, like Andy's, Andy's story, I really liked that story, that we all as hunter had hunters have been there i don't know of a one of us that hadn't lost a buck or you know had these kind of shots you know or whatever you know and for him to find that sheds you know my son-in-law he a few years back he didn't hunt much but he he killed a 168 inch buck and Mm -hmm. made a good shot on it but couldn't find it and it took him a week going back out and hunting and going back out and hunting it until he took his wife, my daughter, they, he found it. He saw some crows and buzzards and went up on top of a mountain and he found that buck and it's mounted in his house right now. The coyotes had already eat it, eat the hide off of it, but he got the, he got the deer, he got the horns. Mm -hmm. So that just shows you, you know, if you kill something big like that, the persistency to stay after it, to try to find it. But I I know we've all been there. We've all been in that situation. So mm-hmm. it was really interesting that yeah. podcast. Coyotes ran up there at thirty three miles an hour, Scott. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they probably did. Not a mile per hour over that. Our dog can't stop real quick with that thing. You know, you just run right over. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to tell you a real funny Andy story. Of course, Andy and 
Scott, Andy's a couple years older than Scott, but I've been around Andy ever since he was a little boy. <laughs> anyway, worked with his dad for several years, and Gary. And anyway, we were we were camped down at uh, uh, Faulkner Springs Schoolhouse down south two forty six. And uh, back in those days, we was hunting with J.C. Macmillan and Larry and all that bunch, and there was a whole bunch of Don Trees. And but anyway, we we're going to make a deer drive one day, and. JC, instead of having a stance, he said, well, now somebody needs to get down that swag, you know, down there, and then somebody down there at the dead end on the road and somebody down on the creek anyway. So he said, uh, he said to Gary and Andy, Andy was about probably 10, maybe. Andy Thrillkill. Andy Thrillkill. Mm-hmm. He said, uh, why don't you take Andy and y'all go down there and get on the creek? And where you had to park to go to the creek is a long ways. And I had just bought me, a, I'll tell you how long ago it was. 19, probably 1986. So Andy would have probably been 10 or 11 at that time. I had a brand new 1985 Suzuki three, three wheeler, <laughs> three wheeler, not a four wheeler. <laughs> no, it was a three wheeler. I mean, had the gun scabbard on it in the racks. I mean, it was, it was a hot dog. I said, Gary, <laughs> I said, instead of y'all having to walk all the way down there, I said, why don't you take that three wheeler? He said, you don't care. Well, he ain't never rode a three-wheeler in his life. I said, no, just hop on that dude. <laughs> so they hop on it. Andy gets behind him. They got their guns laid out, and we take off down this, this warehouser road, and they're in front. And me and Doug Blair, one of James's good buddies, is right behind mm-hmm. them in his Suburban. Anyway, Gary's going out there, and he gets, like, gets to looking over his left shoulder, you know. Well, it gets to getting over in the ditch like that. Well, Instead of him leaning this way, you know, you got to lean opposite on those to get them to turn. Right, right. He gives her this right here, and when he did, that thing bit. It is, it slammed into the bank of the road, and it was just three wheeler Gary, Andy, three wheeler Gary, wow. Andy so Andy's going on the back. Yeah, going it. right down the bar ditch, and that three wheeler's just all over him down through there. Mm. Well, when the dust settled, I jump out and I run to Andy, and warehouse were lucky cut the road. Ditch is pretty deep there. And I grabbed Andy. I said, you okay? He said, yeah, where's dad? <laughs> <laughs> I look back up the road, and all you can see is from the knees back to his boots out of the pine thicket. <laughs> out, in the, out of the warehouse road, we went up there, don't care, going, him to the hospital he broke five ribs oh, no. <laughs> it's spent the whole week laid up in the in the bed but i mean so anyway about tuesday mm. i go in there to check on gary this is saturday and gary says andy have you seen my shotgun my shotgun and i said last time i seen it gary i laid it up on <laughs> laid it up on the bank of the road there where we had to wreck he said well i ain't got it I drive all the way back down there, you know, it's 35 miles or 40. And there that shotgun is <laughs> laying right where I left it, hanging. And that's before all the gated roads. People had, but that shotgun had never been moved in three days. Mm, nobody had been through there, I guess. Yeah, but it never put a scratch on old Andy, but it sure messed his daddy up. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, wow. That's wild.
You know, whenever I look at pictures of my kids from the past year or even just a few months ago, I'm so amazed at how fast they're growing up. And then it hits me hard. I'm getting older too. That's why planning for my family's financial security has become a top priority. Making sure we're prepared and having enough life insurance in case something unexpected happens and I'm out of the picture is crucial. And Fabric by Gerber Life makes it simple to get the protection that's right for your family. Fabric by Gerber Life was designed by parents and for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. You could go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. There's no risk to apply. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can cancel at any time. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash bear. That's M-E-E-T fabric.com slash bear. Meetfabric.com slash bear. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Whitetail Institute launched the food plot revolution in 1988 with a concentration on research and real-world testing of forage products specifically for whitetail deer. Whitetail Institute's research and development team of agronomy experts provide effective, personalized service. I've been using Imperial Whitetail Clover for a long time in a food plot back behind my house. In 2007, I killed the biggest buck of my life over an Imperial Whitetail Clover small quarter-acre food plot. Imperial Whitetail Clover is the only clover scientifically developed through years of selective breeding. Clover Extreme Genetic Stability provides extreme cold tolerance, disease, and drought tolerance. It really does. Clover is coated with Whitetail Institute's Rain Bond, a polymer coating added for enhanced seedling survivability. They have an exclusive offer for Bear Grease listeners, 15% off Imperial Clover when you use the code BEAR at whitetailinstitute.com. That's whitetailinstitute.com and use code BEAR for 15% off. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who's used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Randy. I, I know you wanted Scott to tell a story for it, and he didn't get you one in, but I'm I'm dying for him to tell one of his buck stories if you have time for it. Which one? He knows which one it is. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you my favorite story, though, out of the last episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we're... uh. We've been going an hour and a half, so we're we're going to wind her down a little bit. But I want I, my next question was going to be you. What was your favorite one? So listening to all of them for different. Every, all of us has our favorite for different reasons. 
But I like Mo Shepard's story the best. Mm. <clears throat> and the reason I do, because I've never met Mo Shepard, but I feel like I know the guy just through you and through the magazine and and now through Bear Grease and all that. I feel like I've, you know, I've met the guy before and I never have. But I think it's interesting because Mo's accomplished deer hunter. I mean, the guy's killed some big bucks. He's, I mean, he's the real deal in my opinion. Just listening to the guy talk, you can tell he, yeah, he's the real deal. And he could have picked any story to tell, any story to tell, but it's the one he didn't get that he told. And this guy's mm. killed some state class. I mean, for the state of Arkansas, as good as they get bucks. And he tells a story of a deer that he didn't get. And I sat there, mm. when I listened to his story, I thought, you know, isn't that true? When I sit and think about deer stories to tell, most of the time, it's the one that I almost got but didn't get. Something went wrong. Something went south. You said earlier, I had the taxidermist <laughs> on speed dial fixing yeah. to call him, and then it just <clears throat> falls apart underneath you. Yeah. And then I thought what was interesting about Mo, he'd seen that deer a couple of times prior to the encounter he had where he could have killed him. But from that point on, he never saw him again. It was like, that was it. it end of story. Uh, you get one chance and you never hear or see the deer ever again. And isn't that true? I mean, that's so, that's, I think about all the big bucks I never got. I never saw them but one time. That was it. It wasn't like I had more than one chance or, or anything. It was a one-time deal. Didn't make it happen. And now you live with that for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, there's a pain in that. But that's the stories worth telling most of the time. Yeah. yeah. What what not to do or what went wrong or whatever. Yeah. You learn a whole lot more from those hunts than you do the ones where you actually shoot something. Yeah. I feel like. Yeah. Hey, I've got a story. I don't want to put you on the spot, Andy, if you don't want to tell it. Would you tell us what happened to your finger? Well, it was <laughs> it was October of um 2000 no that's not right it was october of 1997 i think um a friend of mine that's when we first i just got into bow hunting scott in fact scott was bow hunting before i was by uh, but anyway he had found some deer sign over on board camp creek and uh i'm gonna have to beep it out again yeah you can't give your spots away <laughs> Over on the creek, over uh, over <laughs> over east of town. There's a hundred board camp creeks. But anyway, we had uh, went over there one evening and uh, uh, got up my tree stand, and that's back. And I had a I shot a high country sniper bow at the time. Shot about two ten, and had them aluminum arrows that you had to have somebody carry them for you if you had more than three or four. You know, the <laughs> old big arrows. But anyway, I was sitting there in the stand and. And, and back in those days, uh, I was fighting me and God was fighting. Mm. And this is, this is kind of a neat story, but it's, it is a, it's a good story. Um, I said, Lord, if you just let me shoot a deer today, I promise you I'll be in church in the morning. Mm. Okay. And so <laughs> sun's going down. I hear a little, just like a risky deal. I hear, well, yeah, I hear a little snip snap and I look and here comes this yearling coming to my stand. 
and it comes in behind me, and of course, I still do a lot of things wrong in a tree stand, but I, he saw me, and it, it run out the top of the ridge, run over there broadside, and I said, you know what, I'm not going to let you get away from me without me slinging air at you. And uh, anyway, I cut drive, shot under it, and it run out the ridge, and I thought, well, that's it. And in a minute, I looked over there, and here comes this deer back. And so the deer comes back to my arrow, sniffs the arrow, and comes right into the tree stand, and I shoot the deer. Okay? I mean, got a picture of it with my farm bureau, with my ring on. Okay? Mm. So we get over to my friend's house. We skin the deer. He says, you know, we really ought to go back over and hunt that buck in the morning. I mean, he's got the woods tore up. And so I did. I went with him. We get over there. The wind's blowing. We get up into the saddle. Um, there's deer in my stand when we get there. Deer's blowing out, going everywhere. And so at that time, I was hunting a portable tree stand with the screw-in steps. Mm. And uh, anyway, I had a fanny pack at the time. And so I crawl up in the tree, and I'm sitting there and in the tree thinking, I really don't need to be here. I need to be doing, I need to be at church. Mm, you had a deal. Had a deal. And so uh, the guy with Arkansas Democrat had come out the week before with a story about tree stand accidents. And I was sitting there smoking all that over. And at the time, I just, I wore a belt. The boys have since got me a hardest to put over. I just wore a belt around me. But anyway, I was sitting there and about... About nine o'clock, I thought, I'm going to get down and just go look and see if I can find some more sign. So I dropped my bow out of my stand, put all my stuff in my fanny pack, and I've got it around in front of me. So I start down the stand, and when I get down to the bottom step, I was, I'd set the stand kind of on the upside of the saddle, and I'd set my first step pretty high. Mm -hmm. So... When I got down to the last step, when I put my left foot down to get the ground, I couldn't reach it. I was tiptoeing. Well, I still had my, my hand up on the third step. So I thought, well, I'll just hop off. So how high are you off the ground? Foot, maybe. A just foot off the ground. A foot off the ground. And you got your left hand I've on I've got a, my right hand on, on the screw step, in step. On a screw-in step. And my, my this this one here mm -hmm. and I just stepped off this one on my left foot trying to get to the ground okay and so when I hopped off it was just it just like you'd hit me with a ball pin hammer in the funny bone hmm. and I knew I had really messed up something had happened I just grabbed my hand and I run about 30 yards up the ridge and I thought I had broke my finger when I open up my hand, my bone is still attached with a nail and all my finger is balled up in the palm of my hand, all the, all the meat. Mm. And my ring is caught my ring. My ring is hanging from a tendon. And so wow. I shut my hand back like that right quick. And I thought that can't be right. And I open and, and of course, I don't know, bone is, Bone white is, is white, but it was so dramatic it didn't even bleed. 
wasn't even hardly bleeding. Hmm. It just looked like you could have took my finger and just put it right back over the bone. So anyway, I went back to the tree and got my bow down and took a shirt off and wrapped my hand up and hollered at Wayne. And he come down there and he said, what'd you do, kill another deer? And I said, no, I've hurt myself. And anyway, I showed it to him. And of course, I had my face paint on, you know, and brought me into the ER room. And uh, A.J. Cole, my preacher at that time, met me at the ER. Tina had called him and. He come in, of course, he had no sympathy for me whatsoever, and he shouldn't have. <laughs> he said, "Look here, son, what where should where should have been this morning?" You know. Mm, he he called oh, yeah. me out. Yeah, called me out. But anyway, doctor, they sent the doctor in, and he told me he said, "You know, there might be a chance they could put it back, but you'd always have a stiff finger." And I said, "No, you just take that dude off." Mm. And so they did, and so that's the reason I walk around with three fingers. And I said all this to say this: if you tell God you're going to do something, you better keep your word. Mm. lesson learned because as soon as it happened, I had no idea. I mean, I had, there was no question in my mind. Mm. What did he let just happen to me? Mm. So that's the story. Andy Brown wow. spitting tobacco and leaving your finger in the woods. Leaving Man, my finger. No, I took my finger with on. me because I thought they could just slide that dude right back on there. You know? <laughs> well, I was up there wow. too. I was up there too. I came did in. you see it, Steve? Yeah, I came in the emergency room there. They had him back there and I went in and it, it's just like you skin a uh, coon's tail. Yeah, that's like what, that's it was just like coon's yeah, tail. Yeah, yeah. And he, I went over and looked at it, and this, this, he thought they was going to be able to put it back on, sew it on. Mm-hmm. And that doctor was there. And, and, so you the know, bone was the, fine. The bone was Oh, the fine. bone was yeah, intact bone and was still fine. had the fingernail attached to it. Yeah, oh, the bone it's was. just all the meat was It just gone. skinned all the meat right off and wow. was in his hand. And he said, nope. And so I stood there with him when he took that off. I had to eat. You know, and I said, he's got like a big old pair of dog toenail clippers. <laughs> Chip that dude right off. off. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, that uh so did up. You know, the silicone rings are a big deal these days. And Andy, I think about you all the time because I usually wear a wedding ring. I actually don't have it on tonight because I took it off last night and set it on by my computer and just forgot to put it on this morning. But uh I'm gonna get a silicone ring. Well to lose a finger, that's a good one to lose. But you know, there's a purpose for that, dude. <laughs> I say this jokingly, but there's a lot of truth to this. You don't take change in that hand. If you do, <laughs> so, it all falls so through. So Andy, is, is it, it's his ring finger on the right, right hand. side. Yeah. And there's not a morning that goes by in the world that I don't drop the soap out that hand right there. I have to pick that up a time or two every morning. So it, there is a purpose for that finger. Well, and he'll tell you, too, that it, for years he'd say, my finger's itching. Oh, it's yeah. not there, but does. it, does. Does. it, it oh, yeah. itches. He's kind of have I can a still do this, and it's just like you've got a stiff it's finger. It's just like you got a finger. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's wild. Well, I've, I've, that's really interesting, and that's what a story, man. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a scripture that says better to not make a vow to God than to make one and not keep it. Yeah, that's exactly that's right. Crap. Yeah. Well, that's good, man. I wasn't looking for a spiritual lesson, but we got one. That'll work for me. Well, hey, we've been going for – a while now. Uh, thank you guys so much for coming and being part of this. We didn't even get to talk to Coy. Hey, give that headset to Coy for just a second. <laughs> Sorry, Coy. I always have big plans. So this is Coy House. Um, Steve's grandson. I went to school with Coy's dad and Coy's mom. Coy, you killed that big hog the other day. You don't have to tell me this whole story again, but yeah, that was this morning. I did. I did. It was this morning. Um, now what I, do you what are you doing these days? Um, well, I was going to college. 
Um, got hurt. It's a long deal. Had five you concussions, were neck injury over at Washtenaw Baptist. And so now I'm back here and I'm running my own uh, forestry mulching, land clearing, all that okay. kind of stuff, doing all that. And so enjoying that. And then um, Friday nights, I do the radio here. So for the oh, really? football team. You announce for the football I team? I do. I do. Okay. So I enjoy that. Cool. Yep. Now, how old are you, Coy? I'm 19. 19. 19 years old. You And you're, you're big hunter, killed a bunch of turkeys. Oh, yes. Yes. And you were telling my dad about a big buck you let slip through your fingers this year. I did. And I will tell, if you don't mind, I'll tell a little quick story. Sure. So in that same spot last year, first buck I killed with a bow. First buck. It would be, it'd be a year ago this coming weekend. Come in from college. All the guys were down there at camp in Howard County. I didn't have time to run down there. I, I called Pablo. I said, where do you think I should go in the morning? I said, I don't even know where to go. He said, go up there and get in that gap. I'm not going to name where. Some of the guys in good, here know good. exactly where it's at. So he said, go up there and get in that gap. You've been up there before. You know there's deer sign. So I climbed. I, I got up there. And, you know, there's an old stand in the tree up there. Climb in it. Get set in. It's breaking light. It's cold. Good, perfect morning. Had a, just like a one or two mile an hour north wind. Well, I had seen some buck sign in the road walking in. So I got up there, dug in. I ain't seen a deer. It's like 39 o'clock. I ain't seen a deer. And I said, I, you know, I started, well, this is pitiful. You know, you kind of get, you kind of get upset at yourself. I said, I, I'm just going to grunt. I, I'm on a, and I'm, I'm tired. I'm one of those people. Paul will probably tell you because he's hunted close to me. He can hear me. I like to get vocal sometimes, and sometimes I I I like to know that. Hey, if there's a big buck in the area, I want to know, know I'm sitting here. Yeah, he gonna know I'm here. I, sometimes it's just how I am. Sometimes, so I let out the biggest is on a grunt, and I sit in there about two three minutes, and I see this tree just going crazy, and I said, "Well, it's just a squirrel jumping back and forth." Mm. Well, it keeps doing it, and so I get down and literally I have my harness on. I stretch my harness, which you know, probably wouldn't say. All the way down, I grab a hold and I look down. And it's just, I mean, good size buck, 125 inch buck, eight point. And he's shaking the, the I mean, just tree right here, just shaking it. And I said, oh my gosh, you know, about that time, I get really wound up bad, 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 bad. <laughs> like it, it's a. Like your grandpa. Oh yeah, hyperventilating. Like I just, turkey hunting's <laughs> bad too. So, anyways, so I grunt at him again. About that time he turns and he comes straight to me. And he's just blah, blah, blah. And I said, He's oh, grunting back at you. Oh yeah. Big time. Big time. Well, he stops and he starts making a scrape about fifty yards out there. Right behind so I can't get a good shot. And I said, Oh my gosh, you know, by the time I'm getting answer, it's it's going longer, I'm getting answer. Well, I grunt again and I snort wheeze at him. All about he was mad. All the stops, man. He, this story's got everything. He was mad. I'm waiting for this to be a 200 inch deer. I know. <laughs> hey, well, he tries to go around me and get wind of me, and I I was grunting, and he was he was still going behind me. He was going to win me, and I let out a big grunt, and he turned and come right back down to the hill in front of me, and he went down there about 45 yards. I ranged him. I thought he's going to come up to me more so I get a good shot. Well, he stops down there, he starts making a scrape. I said, man, I I, think, I guess I'm going to shoot this buck. About that time, I don't know if any of the other guys in here have ever seen it or not, that buck snort wheezed. It was one mm. of the coolest things I've ever seen. That buck, it's like they hunch up, and then they let out that. that mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Well, he starts making the scrape, 
long story short, I pull back 45 yards. I shoot him and it actually hits his shoulder and goes up and hits his spine. And so he just drops right there like a ton of bricks. Mm. And that was the first buck I killed with a bow. So right I, on, man. Neat great story. story. That's right awesome. On. Wow. So. He, he, he gave you the whole gamut of vocalizations. You, you brown you boys. You gave it right back to him. You brown boys <laughs> are running second to this kid right here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Easy now. <laughs> Easy. But hey, uh, the first person that did get a phone call. This man right here, yeah, yeah. and I called him five times because he wouldn't answer. <laughs> and if you know anything about it, I like to call until I get an answer because I'm pumped up and tell you my story. Yeah, <laughs> so right that's how that went. What a great story! That's good. I've well, got, I've got to tell this story, Clay. Okay, there's one more. <laughs> hey, this is gonna, this is the longest beggary surrender ever. That's Listen, you, you may not want to put this in for your own. Uh, you don't want to shame yourself or whatever, but. Uh, there's a story that everybody needs. Cut it. this out. Yeah, everybody no, needs no, to know about this. No. <clears throat> you know, Clay, just, give, just give the semi-condensed version. All right. Well, you know, everybody, Clay Clay started out shooting compound bows, all the stuff, and he decided that wasn't challenging enough at some point in his life, and so he went shooting a piece of wood with a string tied to it, trad archeries, all that, and that wasn't – that's too technologically advanced. And so this year he started shooting homemade broadheads out of rock and – other stuff and so clay going he, deep human he, on us he's going backwards you know what i mean like where everybody else is like acceptant of technology clay is fighting against technology good for him and he's going backwards but what a lot of people don't know is clay was doing that a long time ago because before before Folsom points and spears and all that you had to just catch it with your bare hands and eat it right i mean that's that's the most primitive thing you can do is just go catch it with your bare hands, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I've seen him in action, or at least <laughs> I, I've seen him attempt it in action. Mm. And uh, no, seriously though, Clay and I went to college together up in Northwest Arkansas, and the weather up there is a lot different than it is here. It's only a hundred and what, probably thirty miles. Yeah, but it's like you're in a whole other part of the country. Uh, the elevation's a little bit higher, but we get a lot of snow when up there mm-hmm. northwest Arkansas. more than here absolutely so i was out of college you were you were married you're probably still in college i'm guessing you and misty yeah. were i think you're in prairie grove at the time and clay we we get about a six inch snow northwest arkansas clay calls he says hey man let's go hunting let's let's go to this management area that's kind of outside of town here and let's go get in the stand Do you think we can kill some deer up there and i said man I think we can. I think we can hunt the edge of these. This management area had these planted food plots, green as they'd be, you know, just gorgeous places. I thought I bet we go up there and hunt those food plots. One of us gets shot at a deer. Clay's like, well, man, I got a buddy named Josh Barger that wants to go with us. You don't care if he goes? And I was like, heck no, more the bar- merrier and better chances of shooting something. So Clay has this old Jeep. That Jeep Cherokee. That old Jeep Cherokee. 91. I think that thing finally burnt to the ground or something, didn't it? Or caught, caught fire or something? No, no, no. It wasn't that one? Not that one. Okay. So well, anyway. it, it, it did catch on fire one time, but it didn't burn to the ground. It, <laughs> okay. I drove it years after that. Yeah. Burn it, half burnt to the ground. So anyway, we we load up and we go to this management area. And really, I it seems like I remember right, when we're driving through that thing, we're putting the first tracks on the ground in that thing. I don't think anybody right. had driven through it. I mean, yeah. nobody had been out. It's January, probably late January, and it is cold. I remember mm-hmm. it being like, I want to say it was in the teens when we got up there. 
And so you and Josh had this idea that we're going to go hunt edge of these food plots. And Clay said, where are you going to get? And I said, you know, I know of this game trail that I hunt during the fall that is headed to one of these food plots. I think I'll just hunt that. And when I tell you it's right on the side of the road, it is literally 50 yards from the main road, but you can't mm-hmm. see it. You can't see where the spot is. It's real steep off the side of the road there. So on the way in there, Clay just dumps me out. And him and Josh, they go on. So I get up in a tree, and the evening goes along, and I'm not seeing anything. Well, right at dark, I look down this trail, and here comes a whole bunch of does and yearlings. And that's just what I'm looking for. (laughs) I mean, I'm just looking for some meat, you know. So here comes, I pick out this lead doe. She comes down the trail. Just like like I imagined it was going to happen, I come to full draw. Doe walks out there, maybe 20 yards, probably not even 20 yards. I shoot, and when I shoot, I don't know what happens. I don't know. I couldn't tell you what happens. I know I had every bit of clothes I owned on. I know mm. I was just overdressed because it's cold. I don't know if my string hit my sleeve or what, but I shot this deer about four or five inches further back than what I wanted. I deliver shot her. I thought I did. That's what the arrow looked like to me when I shot her. Well, she just wheels out of there. And runs back down the trail the way she came in. <laughs> Steve doesn't have his headset on. Steve's over there going, got what? It, but <laughs> you got to stand up for your grandpa. You got to say, "See, I told you." See, Steve could have <laughs> gave you some <laughs> lessons on how to hit that. Hit yeah, that deer in I was the back. shooting in the wrong spot. So anyway, <laughs> what I what my eyes saw was that I shot the deer a little too far back. I thought. So I sat till dark, and I get down, and I walk out there. My arrow looks great. And there's lots of blood. Of course, it's snow on the ground. So you can just, you know what I mean? You don't have to look for it. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just on the snow. You can see it real good. So I walk back out to the road, and I wait around. And it's a while before Josh and Clay come by. And when they pull up, they have seen, if memory I serves saw, me correct, I y'all what you together say. saw like 50 deer between the two of you. It, well, and plus what I saw. I saw 33 deer from the stand that day. And then Josh saw, like in the teens, I want to say, and I saw five, I think. Yeah. So all together, it was over 50 deer we saw from the stand one evening. And they're going on and on about it. And I said, boys, I've only seen five, but I did shoot one. Me and Josh didn't kill one. Nope. They didn't shoot one, but they'd seen a bunch. I said, oh, I've shot one. Clay's like, you did? I said, yeah. I said, I don't know that I hit her all that great. I'm not real sure. Here's my arrow. We looked at the arrow. Clay's like, man, arrow looks good. You know, we're all... We're feeling like maybe it's better than I thought. So it'd been a couple hours probably since I'd shot her. And so we elect to go down and just kind of get on the blood and see what the blood looks like, how good the blood trail is. So we get down there in the snow and we walk down through there and we don't walk very far. I want to say we walk about 40 yards, maybe 50 and it's dark. It's real dark. We've all got, I don't think we had headlamps back then. We just had these old, you know, the best flashlight you could buy that would fit in your pocket. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it wasn't real great flashlights, but we're going out there. And we shine up the trail there where this blood trail's going, and there's a set of eyes sitting there looking at us in the dark. And Clay goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. there she is right there. She ain't dead. And I'm like, man, dang it. No, she's not. What do you want to do? We sit there for a minute, and Clay goes, i tell you what we're going to do. <laughs> and I said, what are we going to do? He goes, we're just going to take off and just jump on that deer. 
And I said, really? And Clay's like, yeah, man. Let's just, let's just bull rush her. <laughs> and, she was right there, guys. And I'm like, we're going to let the steer get away? I'm like, man, I don't know about all that. <laughs> I've never done this before, you know? And I said, Clay, man, whatever you think. He's like, man, on the count of three, <laughs> let's just go jump on her. And I said, all right. So we one, two, three it, and we take off. Clay's in the lead, Josh right behind him, and me right behind Josh, and we're running through the snow in the middle of the night. I mean, it's not the middle of the night. It's probably 9.30 p.m. We're running out through there. It's dark. We're crashing off down through there. And the deer just just <laughs> runs off. I mean, just, you know, like the deer's like, you idiots, you know, and just takes off and runs off the end of this ridge. And Clay and Josh right after it. I mean, like like dogs on a rabbit. And I realized right quick that this was a bad plan. And so I just pulled up there and let them go. And I'm watching them guys run out of sight down this ridge. And the light, all you can see is just like lights bouncing off down through there and the light. We were about to catch it, man. And I was sitting there looking at that, and I just looked over at my left, and there's my deer laying dead. <laughs> so anyway, I yelled at them. Of course, they're in the, they're in the heated race, man. They don't even hear me. So they finally, they realize they ain't got enough stamina to run this deer down. <laughs> and they're out of sight. He got away, Scott. He got away, man. Sorry, dude. They're down the butt on this ridge. I said, I said, Clay. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> there. And I said, man, the deer's right here. <laughs> so anyway, they turned around. Sure enough. And she didn't go yeah, it was a great. It was a great shot. <laughs> yeah, the shot was better than what I thought it was. And anyway, she didn't go anywhere. I mean, she was dead within thirty seconds of me shooting her. I'm sure. Hey, uh, hey you're gonna have to cut story. a lot of this out. But uh, <laughs> talking about clay catching animals, you know, he caught that turkey that time. He's chasing a live deer, not even shot. Well, we're we're riding four wheelers, and I got this high performance deal, and clay's clay's driving it about as fast as it'll go. And uh, I topped the hill on a little old slow four-wheeler and looked down, and the four-wheelers looked like it'd been in a wreck. I was, I was, <laughs> I was in front of yeah. Dad riding yeah, his real yeah. fast Yamaha 350 Banshee. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, on a, and on we a got the nephews and brother-in-law. We're and having all the a big slow time. four-wheelers are in the back. Me and brother-in-law, we're running slow. I topped the hill, and there's my clay baby down there with fenders <laughs> laying in the road. Man, I'm thinking he's... <laughs> He could be dead, you know. So I, I, I rush down there, jump off. I'll get to looking for him. And he's about 20 yards away in a creek with a doe in the headlock <laughs> with, with his pocket knife out. And, and, boy, he's got that sucker. He finally cuts her throat. And we water up, put her on the back of the four-wheeler and take her to a buddy of mine's house and drop it off. But... It's pretty shocking. There's a little more story to this. Oh, There's yeah. a little... No, I was I was riding. I, I really don't know how fast I was going. I was going fast. I mean, I want. I said 50 miles an hour. Maybe I wasn't going that fast. Fast. And I never saw the deer. I just <laughs> felt something just 
slam into me in the four-wheeler. And this is what's fortunate about it is that she didn't get caught up. Like, I didn't hit her in the front. If I'd have hit her in the front and she'd have got underneath me, I'd have probably yeah. done like Andy and Gary. But they, uh, but the four-wheeler, it felt like it just scooted over two feet. It just, bam, hit me. And, it just, and I just skid on the brakes, and I turn around, and there's this doe flopping around in the road. And there's fenders laying all over. <laughs> and the only thing I knew to do was uh, kill her, was go after <laughs> And so we did. Hey, what was, what was really strange about that is probably a month before that, I was on the same banshee, and I, I, I was running as hard as you can run out of a trail, at least 55, maybe more. And a deer jumps out right smack dab in front of my stinking four-wheeler. It, and it, it looked like a cardboard box here. And it comes out and my right tire hits it. And it slings me like this. My tire, my wheel into the tire. I'm running down your the road. Knee, your knee into the yeah, front yeah, tire? Yeah. Like I, it I'm, I'm just about off. off. And, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> saying, okay, this is my first big wreck. I'm going to lay down and roll. And all of a sudden. Going 70 miles an hour. I'm just going to lay down and Andy, roll in the ground. I, I said, Lord, if you get me out of this, I'll go to church. <laughs> not, not really. But anyway, all, so of sudden, thinking. Uh, all of a sudden, this thing just hops back and drops into a soft ditch. Slows down. Everything's cool. The guy I'm riding with finally catches up. And, you know, we came home. Two weeks later, which is, a month Which later, is wild that you didn't just, just have cost a you a pair of pants and a pair of underwear. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it burned, it burned a hole in my jeans. I wasn't you know? talking about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. That happened all right together. Yeah, all, all these, you know, all these the deers are riding. We get, we get two deer there in yeah. probably a month. Well, we've had lots of surprise endings on this one. These were good additions. Thank you guys so much. Really appreciate it. Enjoyed it. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And and all the stories that you guys and other people told were really, really great. And I meant what I said. I, I think these stories, we take it for granted because it's what we do all the time. I mean, that's what our, our these stories are are really deeply meaningful to us as humans that's what i was trying to say in these things even deer stories even funny stories they're 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 significant and uh yeah so appreciate it guys glad to be here thanks for having us yeah man keep the wild places wild keep the wild places wild (laughs) there you go that's it This show is sponsored in part by BetterHelp. Around New Year's, we get obsessed with how to change ourselves instead of just expanding on what we've already done right. Maybe you finally organized one part of your space and you want to tackle another. Or maybe you're taking your supplements every morning and now you actually want to eat breakfast. In the last year, I've been more diligent about going to the gym on a regimented schedule. And it's made a lot of difference in my life. Therapy helps you find your strengths so that you can ditch the extreme resolutions and make changes that really stick. Therapy is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. 
It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Grease today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Grease. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.